Get your day started right. From our shack to yours, this is Coffee and Ham Radios. We are live in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome back to welcome back to uh, Coffee and Ham Radios. Uh, today, we're going to introduce our, our regular people. Uh, we have the Ape. Go ahead, Ape. Tell them about your channel and what's going on in that channel. I just want to be quick, and I want to get to uh, get to George. So, hi, I'm the Smoking Ape, and I like ham radio and ham radio accessories. <laughs> I just want was that a big hot dog that just walked by behind you there, Sean? <laughs> Dude, yeah, no, Brett had the, the big uh, the big uh, hot dog out. Apparently, oh, I saw it's a, that. It's a beyond beyond hot dog, an impossible hot dog, <laughs> impossible hot dog. You go on the boat today. Okay. Go ahead, Sean. Talk about your what you got, what you're up to, and uh, we'll move on to. We'll get a hold of George here and have a discussion with him. It turns out that Joe Brett really isn't Meg. So, who would have known? I was supposed to meet up with Joe Brett this weekend, and I ended up with a real Meg. But uh, oh. I'm building our uh, putting together the uh, Lieutenant Dude here, the DX Commander knockoff, and I should have it up here hopefully. Hopefully mid morning, start making some contacts and test out that new IP705 that uh, Gigapart sent me for evaluation. So, thank you uh, for having me on the show, Chuck. If I cut out, I kind of mentioned to you already, I won't come back on because uh, it's going to be spotty. I think here in just a few minutes. Okay. Yeah, you're a little bit spotty now. You were better earlier, just before we started the stream. Uh, I'm Chuck KK6USY for Ham Radio Ventures. Just go ahead and check out my channel. We're going to get to uh, we're introduce George KJ6VU, and George is the owner of Pactena. George, welcome. Hey Chuck, nice to see you guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, it's great to have you, man. I'm glad you could, you could do this. Uh, uh, we're going to go through a few questions. Uh, I got to change my chat back here, and um, we'll probably get some questions from the chat also. So, um, uh, Ape, you want to start with a, uh, question there? <clears throat> First yeah. Question so, uh, we did put some of the boilerplate questions together for you, George. I'm sorry that we're going to make you say things that you've said before in the past, but, uh, it wouldn't be the first time. I'm yeah. The first time, thing we wanted to ask is, is that, um, so I was listening to some of your podcasts, uh, cause I want, I wanted to prepare a little bit and then, and then I, I started to get hooked and I, I think I heard you say that you got licensed in 1972. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, what? Yeah. So, uh, what 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 got you into ham radio? And what? Did, how did you decide to? I mean, I'm assuming you're pretty young back then. So, what's yeah. all about it? Seventy two. I was thirteen <clears throat> in uh, in in junior high, middle school. Um, mm. You know, I, I think back then, um, probably maybe even when I was like I don't know seven or eight. Somehow or another, I found uh, I found a radio. My my brother was in uh, in Vietnam. He's much, he's older than I am. And he he had a um, shortwave receiver that he brought back, and so I was like tuning around on it. And and there's all these bands, you know. There's the AM band and the FM band and all this other stuff. Like what's sure, that other sure. stuff, you know? And like any nosy kid, you're like, man, I want to figure out what you know, what's this secret stuff all about. And you know, tuning around, you hear all these broadcast stations. So I started with that, and um, started doing uh, shortwave listening, which was a thing then. Now there's not SWLing yeah. is not as big of a deal anymore since there's not as many broadcasters. So I'd listen right. to Radio Netherlands, the BBC, uh, Deutsche Welle, all these like big international broadcasters, and I started getting, um, you know, QSL cards and stuff like that from them. And then I found um, these, uh, you know, guys just talking. Like, what is that? 
and and so tried to learn more about it. And then um, in junior high school, um, I found in our library there is a ARRL handbook. So I, I found that, and then I started to realize there's a whole hobby out there. And my boys' vice principal, who everybody was totally um, afraid of because the guy was like, you know, seven feet, eight inches tall. And he's the one with the big paddle, you know, in the, in the <laughs> office that said, ouch, literally <laughs> ouch ouch on the paddle. Um, he, he turns out he is a ham. And so uh, oh, wow. he, he saw me reading the, the handbook in the library. And when he comes up to you, it's never a good thing. All right. Bad day. Hair on the back of your neck stands up and. Yeah, and I, I'm just like this nerdy little kid, and like I didn't do anything. Like, why are you, why are you here? And he's like, "Come to my office." I'm like, okay. So I go to his office, and you know, and I find out he's a ham, and he would like to do a ham radio class if there are kids interested. And some of my buddies are interested, so we did a novice class. That's cool. It's a, yeah, that's, it's, uh, uh, that's awesome. So, did you uh, were you ever into CB and stuff, or did you just go? No, right I never got into CB. I kind of skipped over that and just sort of went from shortwave listening to uh, to ham radio. That's that's kind of what got me into it. I, I got in. My dad was into CB, and then when after he had passed, uh, I was cleaning my mom's house out, and I found a lot of his radios. I started getting back into it. I was into it in high school, about the same time as you. And um, then the bands just kind of died, and I'm like, well, I, I enjoy this, but so I want to go a little farther. So I got my ham license, and that's kind of how I got started in the whole thing. So I know a lot of people they do that, but you went right to the top there, or right to yeah. ham. But a, a lot of guys in that same era, in the in the seventies, uh, maybe the early eighties, a lot of guys did get in through CB, I and mean, that was a big hot thing. So that, oh, was, that was more, much more common. Um, yeah, CB you know. was really hot in the seventies. Yeah. So yeah, I had um, CB was what what I did, and when I was in high school, there were two groups of guys who were in the radio: the ham guys and the CB guys. And um, I always joke around and say the guys who were in the CB had uh, had prettier girlfriends. So I went over and hung out with the <laughs> with the with the CB guys. And, uh, I think that's a true statement. <laughs> that that's because we because we do ham radio for the girls, right? <laughs> right. My um my friend in high school, one of his friends, his dad was a ham, and he had a big old beam and stuff like that in the backyard. And, he would always talk to us about it and try to get us involved. And, you know, we're like, Hey, we're riding our skateboards. Can, can we, can we handle this later? But uh, I really regret actually not spending more time with them to, 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 to learn from somebody like that. Yeah. There, there were a lot of Elmers. I was really, really lucky. Um, uh, there was a couple of guys in the neighborhood just down the block who were hams. My, uh, one of my best buddies uh, in, in junior high school and, and um, his father actually worked for a ham radio company he designed all their power amplifiers so if you're familiar with henry radio mm-hmm. henry radio makes uh, or made uh, these really nice big rf power amplifiers and rf generators and so um, my buddy bob his dad big. they're big they're pretty big <laughs> um so his his dad robert adams was the designer of most of those things like the 2k4 and the 2k ultra and all those and he was exactly one block away from me and so would hang out together and uh, actually his his dad is the guy who administered my novice license. Oh, oh that's wow. cool. That's really cool. So is, is that where your background from electronics comes from then? Because I know you're uh, listening to your podcast. I, you guys, you guys start talking. I'm like, okay, I'll wait till they get to something I understand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, that was sort of the spark. I mean, I was always super interested in electronics. Um, you know, I, like a lot of us, I was, I was the kid that took the thing apart and could, couldn't put it back together, but wondered, you know, what was inside. And, um, eventually got into electronics i i figured out in school that um there were other guys who were better than i was at the engineering part so i did uh, more software 
stuff and eventually uh, also went in to get a business degree, but uh, always loved electronics. And so I really worked my whole career in semiconductor. Um, so start, really started so, out early with that. So you're, you're near, um, you're about what, an hour, hour and a half from me and you're in the Silicon Valley basically, right? So yeah. I'm just at the Southern tip. So right it's down natural. Valley. Well, did you grow up there too? No, actually, I grew up in West Los Angeles, which is like oh, the okay. Silicon Desert. <laughs> we cut. Okay, uh, that, well, that, that makes sense because that's where Henry was out of LA yeah. area, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're in West LA. So right. in, in that area, it's all Mill Arrow stuff, was the, the high tech stuff. And uh, so I uh, grew up there, went to school there, and then um, moved up to the Bay Area in the 80s, uh, basically for work because that's really where Semi was. And so, right. uh, so I've been here since then. Oh, awesome. So, so you've worked at the same the same company your entire career? Or? Oh God, no! <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> no, um, no. I've I've probably been at uh, four or five different companies. I've been at some really big uh, <clears throat> software companies and some little startups. So uh, currently, I'm at I'm at a pretty good size, medium sized company. We're about uh, one and a half million dollar company that's headquartered in Austin, Texas, as it turns out. Um, oh, wow. But but I happen to be here in the West Coast. Well, a lot of a lot of companies are actually moving to Texas from the Silicon Valley right now. Um, I was I was reading that in the paper. Austin's a hot spot. I mean, it, uh, right. it, it's a nice area. There's a lot there's a lot going for it uh, in the Austin area. It's a really good tech center these days. So uh, that yeah, company I work for is actually headquartered there for for since they started 40 years ago. So um, they are kind of an anchor technology company there. I was a developer years ago for a particular brand of software and their headquarters was in Austin, Texas. So when it was time to get trained and stuff, we would have to go there and um, fantastic city, fantastic live um, music community um, and tons of good barbecue. I, lo I love Austin. Well, <laughs> back a second. and I wasn't in any of this stuff. I was in the fire department and we, we've got a, uh, we used to go to oil schools down there. I never went, but a bunch of our guys went to oil, oil burn schools down there in Texas and, all they would say is like, man, you, it's it's so hot down there. I mean, who wants to go fight fire in, in like hundred degree weather? You know. So, so I, I think every probably everybody that's with us right now knows that you're the owner of Pactena. And um, what was the inspiration, George, for Pactena, and what got you into that? So business? I I've been doing uh, portable operating for for a long time. Um, I'm not as active as a lot of guys are, but I, I really like portable operating. I really like QRP. I've built a ton of QRP radios. Um, and when I would go operate portable, whether it's at field day or just like go to the park kind of a thing, uh, the antennas were were never what I wanted. And so I, I bought like every commercial portable antenna out there. And they were all either too heavy and big to really be mm -hmm. portable, or they were... Uh, not made very well, or they were so short in order to be portable that the performance was pretty poor. So yeah. I, I could never really find like the perfect antenna. So <clears throat> one, one day I, I tripped across this um, fiberglass mast. So I found a, a company that made this uh, 32 and a half foot, 10 meter long pole that uh, when you collapse it down, would collapse down to about 26 inches. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting because up to then, um, like if you go to the NorCal uh, QRP club meetings and guys would bring their portable antennas, you'd look at what they're doing. Uh, one of the big things, very popular, like 20 plus years ago was was this uh, vertical where you would uh, take a fiberglass mass and you'd, you'd wrap some coils of wire around it and then have the rest of the wire go up to the top as a radiator. 
And right. um, those those poles were about 15, 18 feet long, which was fine on 20 meters. It was great on 20 meters, but it was kind of right. not so great on 40, and it was really bad on, on 80. So when I found this this 32-foot uh, mast, I thought, man, that's a quarter wave on 40. And the thing collapses down to be small enough that I could actually strap it to my backpack and, and you know, carry it up to a hill. So that got me thinking, um, well, what could you do with that? And so the obvious answer is is make antennas with wire. And right. uh, so the, the, that was a natural. Uh, but then the problem was, well, feed it with what? And is it a, is it a, a V? Is it an N-fed? You know, what kind of antenna? So I just started uh, designing different antennas and figuring out how, um, how they work and uh, came up with the, the original Pactenna design that's a link dipole. So there's a, a feed point, um, and we use mostly BNC connectors for, for portable stuff. So it's got a BNC connector. It's got a way to connect the wires for the V and some tie points um, and ways to guide it. So yeah, I, I, found out, yeah. I was going to say, I found out real quick when I started making antennas, and that's how I found you because I was looking for portable stuff and, uh, or Pactenna. And I found out real quick that, what I was making was great if you're hanging it from a tower or something that had lots of strength. But as soon right. as you start putting it on one of those poles, it was like just it was way overbuilt. And and that's that basically the the well, not I wouldn't say the first mast I bought was from you, but the first ones I bought were like the cheap ones from eBay. They're for uh, they're actually fly rich uh, Japanese fly uh, rods, mm -hmm. basically ten, tenkara, I think they mm -hmm. say it. Okay, I, sorry to interrupt you there. And so you were. <clears throat> well, I, I saw I was looking at the same problem. Like, well, you know, what do you do? It's, and by the way, the other thing is um, I used to do a lot of backpacking. So I don't do as much now as I used to. But when I was, uh, you know, in, in my teens and 20s, particularly, I did a lot of backpacking in the Sierras. And so I sort of have ingrained in my mind that you need to go lightweight because, you know, like I, I, I enjoyed some of your, you know, your videos, Chuck, about, you know, getting ready for some of your trips and what are you taking and mm -hmm. How do you figure out the space and the weight and all that stuff? Right. So that whole that whole thing is really familiar, and uh, I always joke around that I, you know, I, I'm the I'm the guy that cuts the labels out of the back of my shirt to try to shift the weight. <laughs> I do too, but not for the weight. But uh, I'm glad the, they went to the printed ones now. You know, and, and, and you cut the, the end of your toothbrush off, right? Yeah, I was right. my friend. He cut his toothbrush off, so he's just brushing his teeth like this. But and yeah, you watch. You watch that ultralight backpack and stuff. Those guys, it's like every well, like you know, every gram is a is a pound, right? You know, yeah. So eventually, so what what I found was if like the first backpacking trip I went on, um, you know, we just we just got whatever, you know, borrow this from your buddy. Oh, I've got some old sleeping bag that'll be fine. And then you load it all up and you go, oh my god, this is like seventy pounds, and I can't even lift it. So right. so I I really learned early on that that every ounce makes a difference, and also the space makes a difference. So right. when I look at all this ham radio stuff, I'm thinking like, this is all, you know, this is fine if you're going to put it up at your house and leave it there. It's all, you know, that's great. But it just, it didn't cut it for me. And when I looked at all these commercial antennas that are, um, you know, loading coils that make the antenna small, but they're bulky and their efficiency isn't so hot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that, that really kind of got me going down this path. And, and so the answer is, is wire and then a way to hold the wire up and then try to make feed points that are small and, um, also, the part of the the, the Pactena design is that the feed point is um, is a wire winder, so that right. you don't have a separate sp like spool of wire. So you figure eight wind the wire on the on the uh, um, the feed point. 
Yeah, um, I try to take the the caps to all the poles and just like set it right next to the pole, so I don't because otherwise, who knows where? I mean, I, at my house, I don't know where I set it down, and I, I spend you know fifteen minutes looking for the cap or the doggone thing. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. they should make those like neon green or something like that. <laughs> like, or put a keeper on it, you know, like put a little right. string on it so that you. I you thought know, of you that too. A keeper adds weight, though. Well, that's a good point. I'm just so I'm just, the green. I'm just, <laughs> right, the green. So the is the green, green paint. <laughs> paint's exp- paint's heavy, man. Yeah. All right, that's great. Yeah, I I've gone through that that whole process of trying to lighten things. Well, you like like well, I went on that. My last soda was three, you know, six miles, and it was all snow, and and mm-hmm. I was light that day. <laughs> And I'd hate to have, you know, 50 pounds on my back that day. It was just for a day trip, you know? So, so we, so we, we just interviewed, really uh, stuff. Uh, you know, um, Gaston, the, the tech prepper, uh, KT1RUN. Mm-hmm, sure. So we yeah. just interviewed him uh, for the podcast and um, his latest video, he's out in the desert. It's like 105 degrees oh, and he like has that. a 60 pound pack. And I'm like, man, under the best of circumstances, I wouldn't even pick that up. He's still a young fellow, though. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, during the during the video, I'm looking at him, going, "My God, his face! He looks like me after I just played basketball." You know, (laughs) not anymore. I don't play basketball anymore. I blew my knee out, so you know, my career's over. Um, So we got a guy who's a little bit of a wise guy, Arnie. He's asking if the Pac-10 is always sold out because of the chip shortage. uh, (laughs) Yeah, the factory burned down. (laughs) Factory burned down. So the the truth of the matter is that Pac-10 is is a a small family business. And um, we we all, everybody in the family has a day job. And the, the part of the tricky part about this is when we go to make an antenna or a bunch of them, we have to put out a lot of cash. So we have to you know, buy all the, the raw materials. We got to ship all this stuff all over the place. The assembly houses build it, ship it back to us, and then we have to fulfill the orders. And to do a batch of antennas, it's it's several tens of thousands of dollars. So, wow. um, it you know, if if this was the job, then right. it would probably different story. Problem. So it's yeah, really a combination of the cost and time. Well, I've, I've heard you say that you kind of were doing it as a hobby, right? It was just like, hey, you know, I like these antennas and I want to put them out there and then, it just kind of exploded. Like people talk about, it. I mean, you obviously know that, right? People are very excited about them. Yeah. I got the, the best compliment actually this week. One of the, the guys on our, on our groups at IO page said, you've achieved cult status. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't need world domination. I just want to create a cult. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think people understand. I had a guy on, I did your, uh, the mass thing and the guy's like, Every time I go there, are they still in business? I'm like, he just doesn't understand that you're a small business and you do this more as a hobby. And 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 I've I've gone through it too. Every time I went there, it's like, oh man, I, I was probably two days late. You know, <laughs> we, in the in the California spirit, we we try to think of ourselves as artisanal antenna creators. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to put too many out there, right? <laughs> no, you want to create some scarcity. <laughs> so we we do have a, a a huge batch of of parts at the assembly houses now. We use two different electronic assembly facilities and they're they're both they make different um different products for us and so they're uh they're cranking away right now we should actually be getting more in, in the next couple of weeks so your background kind of lended to your um designs too i guess right yeah i mean it helped um yeah. i mean most of my my background is really more in the circuit design and all that sort of stuff but um, the way the way that the the feed points are are manufactured, it's actually a piece of printed circuit board material. Yeah. So it's FR four fiberglass, and 
you know, it's like if, if, if you know how to use a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so I know how to make circuit boards. And so I was like, how do you design an antenna? I make a circuit board. So <laughs> that's how I got down, going down that path. But, it, no, it but it's, it's very clever, right? Because you have some durability, but you also have utility in the circuit board, right? So like, I'm, right. I haven't dissected any of the antennas, but I'm assuming like when you have a toroid on there that you're using the traces on the board to get to, down to the, to the BNC connector and stuff like that, which, it, you know, it adds durability, like I said, and it takes advantage of the, of the actual material. Plus it's light. It's, uh, it's actually exactly. very clever. It's yeah, light. It's well, also it's physically compact. Super. Um, yeah, super you know, thin and strong. I mean, compared well, it's, to it's, this is one of those big trade-offs. So if if you're going to make it ultimately rugged, you would enclose it. Sure. Now the problem with enclosing it is that the volume, you triple the it's volume, sure, and sure. and you at least double the weight, and and now it's a trade-off. Now the pectennas aren't really designed to be put outside and left forever. Um, right. They would probably survive okay, but we don't suggest you do that. If you some people take them and stick them in boxes, and that's fine. But um, we wanted to get away from the bulk and the weight. And so th that's what we did. So it's always a trade-off of how do you make it rugged and yet make it lightweight. So using that, uh, but we use a couple of tricks, by the way, that f the, the printed circuit board material uh, that we use is thicker than normal. When you make a circuit board, you can get different thicknesses. And the, the typical thickness of most PCBs is about 1.6 millimeters. And we use two millimeters. Now, you wouldn't think that that would make that much of a difference, but it makes a huge difference. So if you take a, a piece of fiberglass that's about, uh, say, seven inches long, or actually our, the small antennas are about five inches. If you take just the board, 1.6 millimeter board, you can flex it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Two millimeters, you, you really can't. I mean, very right. slightly. And, and so that extra rigidity makes it more, um, you know, more robust and doesn't really add any weight to speak of. Uh, and then we do use some of the copper traces uh, for connections and all of the uh, the connectors are all mounted to the surface. So there's no, uh, you know, connection points to break. And and then we wrap the whole thing in in some thick um, heat shrink to- Yeah, it to looks like you use some pretty, pretty heavy duty heat shrink there. We do. Yeah, so we, we didn't uh, optimize for price at all. <laughs> so right. We, we oh, joke around. Just, you can find cheaper, but you can't find more expensive ones. Than I those. just I just priced out what it cost me to make my little super tiny um, on the BNC connector, and it's mm -hmm. like it's like, well, I, I don't get any de you know deals on the wire or anything like that, and it's it's just the wires expensive. Yeah, you and we, we sixty four uh, feet of wire, and that's that's you know if you're lucky if you can get it ten cents a, a foot. Yeah, we don't even get it that cheap. So the, the wire yeah. that we use um, either comes from the Wireman or mm -hmm. from uh, Davis RF. Uh, so they're, they're, they're antenna it's the wire. wire. Yeah, it's, it's the exact same product. I, I think the Davis RF supplies the Wireman, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah, stuff. I think so also. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. like when I started to build antennas, I was like, you know, I was looking at you know, buy versus build. And I think it's a question a lot of folks when they get an HF ask. And uh, I was looking at some of the commercial antennas and I'm like, to what you were saying earlier, that's not exactly what I want. That's not, not what I'm trying to do. And they're expensive. I'm like, they're really expensive. So I started building antennas and my, my first antenna probably cost me $300 to build. <laughs> you know, <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. when you first start buying the parts, you know, you're like, oh my gosh. But now I've got like the, the proverbial junk box and I can just, I can put an antenna together. So the funny right? thing is like the, the ones that we make, uh, anybody can make the antennas we make. There's nothing secret about it. I have a whole presentation on, on these antennas and how they work. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the points that I make early on in the, in the presentation is like everything that I'm going to show in the presentation, you can just go and build it yourself. And, and in fact, I think you should because it, it, building antennas is, is a lot of fun. It's relatively easy for, especially for these kind of antennas and mm -hmm. the parts are relatively cheap. Um, 
So why would anybody buy an antenna? It kind of boils down to, you know, some people just don't have the time or interest or tools. I and think you, they get intimidated too, right? They do. They, and, and they're really afraid. Like, you know, if, if I buy the wrong wire, it won't work. Well, no, it'll, it'll be fine. You know? Um, so really the, the, the reason that we actually, this is why I'm constantly all other reason why I'm out of stock. It's like, how many people will really buy it? So anyway, um, <laughs> right, right. because you know, just, you could just build your own for a fraction of the cost. But on the other hand, if you said, okay, well, I don't have a garage full of tools and I've never done this before. So I got to go buy the right parts. I got to buy a decent soldering station. Sure. I've got to go. Um, you know, get a, a, a air gun so I could heat shrink the thing. I have to learn how to surface mount the parts. I get it, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, actually your first antenna will cost you more than if you just bought one. So if you just want the antenna and that's it, you're better off buying it. If you want to build antennas as part of the hobby, you, you really should do that. Uh, a lot of guys also buy our antennas and just to look at it like, oh, that's how he did it. And then they make right. their own, you know, like that's right. cool. You know, so this is this like we don't have to sell antennas to eat. So that's really not that right, big a right. deal. Um, so, it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the whole goal behind Pactina to start with was to encourage people to get out and operate. And, um, you know, th these particular antennas helped me do that in a way that I wanted to be able to operate. So exactly. if other people could use them. That's great. Well, speaking yeah. of getting out and operate, um, one of our friends, uh, Carlos, at uh, Life at Terminal Velocity, you know, they posted in the chat to you that um, he jumped out of a plane with your antenna. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's become his, his awesome. go-to antenna. <laughs> yeah, I put pictures of him um, on the website. So there's oh, an awesome cool, picture cool. of him at when he's just about to do a jump, and he's like looking down at the ground. He's holding the antenna. It's like, holy cow. That's yeah, incredible. I, I think that's the most amazing thing I've seen in him, right? is him doing that. But uh, yeah. I think he's crazy because just between us, I think the guy is absolutely nuts doing that. But uh, you know, more power to him. He he loves it. Well, he's clearly a professional. I mean, right. <laughs> knows what he's doing. Yeah, no, he's a he's a lot of fun. They they had him eat a, a veggie burger, one of the uh, Beyond Burgers or whatever it is, on camera the other day, and it was pretty entertaining. <laughs> uh, he's, well, he's pretty first of all, guy. he couldn't he couldn't even find the place. I mean, the dude was actually trying to direct him there because they live close. And he, he couldn't find. Uh, I think he was, they were trying. They were trying for Burger King, but uh, he ended up someplace else. I don't even know that. We don't even have the place. Like Culver's or that. something like that. Culver's. Yeah. So, um, go ahead, Ape. Well, um, I think we also wanted to talk a little bit about Ham Radio Workbench, and so I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the podcast. And I'm dropping links and stuff like that in the chat, so I'll drop one for Ham Radio Workbench. But uh, tell us a little about what which what, what you do over there. Yeah, sure. So. Uh, could we ask ahead, one more question before you do that? No. On Pactena. Do you guys have anything new coming out from Pactena oh, right, at all? Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, there's always ideas. So the latest thing we did is, is a VHF antenna mount called a Trek mount. Uh, right. So this is something else I've been wanting to do for, for a while. Um, at field day, we, we always operate VHF in addition to HF. And, uh, you know, setting up a Yagina pole and all that stuff is a little bit of work. And I wanted something that would be quick and easy and then maybe even use it portable. And so um, I, I have this, I always try to figure out what can I do with my trekking pole? You think you think you could use that for something. Uh, there's right. got to be a use for it. So I thought, okay, I could actually use that as the mount for a, a VHF antenna. And so I wanted to do two meter sideband and two meter sideband is typically horizontally polarized. You, you can operate vertical uh, here in the Bay Area. A lot of guys do vertical because they got the antenna up already. And so mm -hmm. why not? 
but uh, the the diehard two meter sideband guys <laughs> operate horizontal. There's, there's a big there's a big drop off uh, at, when you go vertical versus yeah. horizontal on six. Uh, well, I know on six and two both. And when know. it's line of sight, when you when you change polarization, you'll lose twenty dB. Right. I mean that's huge. That that's a huge difference for uh, for uh, skywave propagation. It doesn't matter because it rotates. But if right. you're just going like line of sight, this difference makes makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah. um, and one's not really better than the other. It's just that they need to be the same, right? <laughs> so, and usually the net control is on horizontal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here in the Bay Area, like on uh, the two meter sideband nets, um, I've worked uh, Mike Stahl down in Fresno. Yeah. Um, and it, now, now in all fairness, Mike, uh, who all, who owns Sport antennas. <laughs> It's yeah, it's all Mike exactly. Mike's got a killer station with antennas like there's no tomorrow. Lots of power, right? So, his, but the fact that he could hear sale? me is a shocker. His place was for sale. It's pretty amazing yeah. place, but it's like over a million. Yeah, I've talked to I've talked to my. I have a hard time. I live in a valley, and to the direction I should point for him, I can't even hear him. And so what he told me, he goes, well, what's doing is bouncing off all the hills. So because it sounds like he, he's he's going like this over me talking when he's talking like he comes in really strong and then goes away, you know, and, and I have but I've gone up on the hill behind my house, which is only like, what, three or four hundred feet at the top. And he's like, where are you on today? I'm like, I'm on a piece of PVC with some aluminum hooked to it. He goes, oh, my God, he goes, give me the specs on that. I thought you were going to say you were on Tylenol. I was that. It was uh, that seven dBs for seven bucks off of the ARRL, except I added a fourth element to mine, of course. But uh, elevation, you know, that makes all the difference. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, but man, it, yeah. it it's huge. Where I am, I'm in a valley here, and between me and Mike, there's there's a, another like two thousand feet of mountains multiple times. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly bouncing and refracting. It's not. There's no ain't no line of sight. So. Right. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the trek mount idea was uh, to make a two-meter horizontally polarized antenna. Um, so I, I, I made a little uh, mount. So you, you take your trekking pole, you flip it upside down so the dangerous end is pointing up. And on most trekking poles, there's usually a basket, like a snow basket or a dirt basket, and you can right. those screw on or, or, or toggle, uh, like bayonet on the bottom. So if you remove the basket, you've got about a three-quarter inch wide piece of that um, trekking pole. So the the trek mount slips over that the the end of the uh, of the pole, and then you screw the little basket back down like a nut, and that holds it in position. And so there's a BNC connector going into it from your coax, and then there's two BNCs coming out horizontally and one vertical. So you can take two whips and you could just pop them on, and now you have a horizontal dipole. Or if you yeah. want to move one of them up to the top vertical, you have a ground plane. Yeah, you. I think. Um... The trucker, uh, you guys sent him somewhat one of those, I think, and he's tried it out. He's, it worked really well. I'm a, I'm a big. I wish more people would get into, to uh, two meter and six meter, um, especially sideband. Mm -hmm. um, people don't understand why I buy a 991A. I go because your little two meter that you're talking about mobile doesn't do what I want to do. Yeah, I go. I still have that, <laughs> but yeah. I can do sideband. And sideband is you can just. It's amazing how I mean Mike talks all the way up into Reading. And he's in Fresno. Yeah, it's two meters. If anybody is, knows crazy. California, that's that's like over half of the length of California, probably. Yeah, and two, so, two meter sideband is 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 fun. Um, and, and there's guys up here in Northern California that talk to Southern California quite regularly. Now they probably have bit they have better antennas than I do, and they're probably in a better location. But it, it's for sure it's doable. So you you do get right. you do get uh, just 
comparing FM, let's say if you if you look at your your FM simplex range, compare it to sideband, you'll get better range with sideband. So there there's a modal advantage, just like with CW, you you know you get a significant advantage in CW, and that all has to do with bandwidth. So when you go from an FM carrier to a sideband carrier to a CW carrier, the narrower the bandwidth, essentially that equates into better range. So you'll get better better range with sideband. Yeah, I always, uh, I always like. Well, I have an A fifty seven and a nine ninety one A, and that's my two favorite radio. I I traded my buddy for his eight ninety one for a while. I I like kicked myself before that was before I had my nine ninety one A. If if I could go back in time, I would I would buy as many eight fifty sevens as I could. Oh man, do you see what and, they go for now? Yeah, on eBay they're like twelve hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, and they were like six hundred, seven hundred dollars, brand yeah. new. Um, yeah, I, I love to do that. I, I did a, uh, it was a soda poda up in Northern, up North of me even. And it was uh 6,500 feet, I think. And I've got, I built, and I did my, my, my HF stuff first and I, and I got done with, I had like 85 contacts in like an hour. Mm. It's a, it's a really awesome place to do. It's called big hill. Oh, so cool. then I, then I take a little break. I eat little things and I get, I, I built one of those. I don't know if you see my antenna. It's a five element, uh, made it with arrows and stuff. I throw that up and I, I get this one guy and he goes, I go, so how, how's the signal? He goes, Oh, you're only 60 over. I go, I go, well, <laughs> I am running. I'm only, well, let, let me, let me turn it from 50 down to five. He goes, yeah, now you're only 20 over. This is sideband. I mean, it's just, and he's, he's like a hundred miles from me or something like that. He was really, he was actually really close, but I always want to get that. I'd love to, I, I think one day that uh, a K six ARK and I tried six meter on the, on the contest day. You know, because oh, well, maybe we can do it. He's on a hill. I'm, I'm kind of on it. You know, it wasn't really on a hill, but above my house. But uh, yeah, it was fun. That, that's that's an interesting antenna. I've seen that. Um, I watched uh, his video on that, and he did he did pretty good uh, getting out. Yeah. he likes he's got the. I think he just bought an eight fifty seven also. Yeah, he's running uh, an eight eight one eight and an eight fifty seven. Yeah. Um, in different setups. And yeah, okay. he's he he, he was um. His field testing is what I wanted to get to, and I didn't get to it, and he did. So I'm grateful right. for him for him stress testing it. And then as soon as he started posting his videos, then then the thing kind of blew up, and so I had to make a batch. And actually, they're all, they're all sold out. And so I just yeah, I noticed that bought another. <laughs> I just yesterday I bought another pile of parts and shipped them off to the uh, assembly house. Okay, now we'll get to Ape's question. I knew he had some other stuff there, so that was a we had that written down. We just kind kind of missed it. So right, back to right. the workbench. But um, you're getting fact-checked, uh, Chuck. Ben saying that you weren't getting uh, 857s, $1,200 on eBay right now. Oh, I know. I should have bought All right, now, now we're going to talk about ham radio workbench. And so like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my written question. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, Ham Radio Workbench? Sure. Um, <clears throat> my uh, friend Jeremy, KF7IJZ, and I started that about... Gosh, I think five, four or five years ago, we're up to episode 133, I believe. And um, each episode is supposed to be an hour. We've never done an hour episode. We have that problem here, too. (laughs) You know, you kind of get going. It's like you just keep going. And so I think uh, we're averaging about two to three hours an episode, which is really we're always asking listeners, is this too long? And they're like, no, no, it's fine. I got a lot of to keep listening, you know, then. uh, Yeah. It's working out. Ape and I picked the same one last night. We were listening to your uh, directional antennas, and I think before you even got the directional antennas, it was an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it takes us like an hour to get through the first ten minutes. Yeah. So the concept for the for the show originally was to do a podcast on 
um, more the the DIY hands-on making aspect of the hobby. So whether it's um, something simple like, um, you know, what what's the difference between the different coax? How do you put a connector on it? All the way to building more complicated projects with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, um, or looking at any sort of technical aspect of the hobby and trying to dig into it to really understand it a little bit better, which is why we bring experts on the show to talk about things that they're passionate about, that they're really experts on. So uh, we we also all happen to be very avid portable operators, you know, field day, soda, whatever. So a lot of the operating aspects that we talk about are more field operating oriented or emergency kind of communications oriented. So it started out, uh, Jeremy and I, we, we actually had a, a mutual acquaintance who did a, a, a podcast that was eventually uh, called Ham Radio 360, a fellow named Kale. And um, he did a really nice job of, of an interview style podcast. Uh, he wound up interviewing Jeremy and myself separately. And, and he somehow or another, he said, you guys should get to know each other. And it turns out I actually knew of Jeremy because he did some YouTube videos about solar power for ham radio that I thought were really excellent. And, and so I was a fan of, of Jeremy's before I met him. And so we got to talking and, and decided, you know, it'd be really cool to do a, uh, a podcast. And so, uh, so then we went off and, and started doing ham radio workbench. And originally Jeremy said, look, I don't know what we can talk about. I mean, I can think of like a couple of shows, but I don't, I don't even know how we get to 10. I said, no problem. We can get to 10. That <laughs> we'll is not out. a problem. 133 later. <laughs> right. That's kind of how we are. We're, we're like the four of us talk in a, in a chat and we're like, what do you think about We're're this? What do you think about, about that? And I'm sure you guys do the same stuff. Oh yeah. It, the, it, the topics are limitless. I mean, it, they really are. Um, there's so many. I don't think Ham Radio 360. I don't think he's doing his stuff anymore, is he? I think he think he stopped a few years ago. No, he, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we we uh, kind of went off and did our own thing. So we we worked with with him for about I don't know half a dozen of the original episodes, um, and then uh, he decided not to do Ham Radio podcast anymore, and uh, so we wanted to do other stuff, and which is cool. So he kind of went away, and uh, and we really haven't. Um, done anything with them since then and but that that was like you know 125 episodes ago at this right. point yeah yeah i remember listening to the to it back then um so in listening to some of the episodes one of the things i noticed is is that you guys all must have it backgrounds is that a is that a fair assumption or uh some of the guys do so so there's two of us that really uh, host the show myself and jeremy and then uh and so jeremy's got more of a um software like program management kind of background i've got more of an electrical engineering background um, we have uh, four guys who are good friends of ours who've been um, very regular participants. They're not really hosts, but they're not just like a normal guest. And uh, and those guys all have um, quite a bit of IT background. And, you know, one thing I, I've noticed in, in, like when I was a young ham, a lot of the guys who had a technical career were all either two-way radio guys or they're broadcast engineers, that sort of thing. And in the last 20 years, I'd say the vast majority of, of new guys I talk to are network engineers. So, so that's pretty common. And thank God for that. I mean, I, I know enough to configure my home router, but after that, I'm kind of done. And, and a lot of these guys are real, like professionals in that area. And there's so much that's network oriented in ham radio now that that's really useful to have that kind of expertise. 
Yeah, so that's one of the things that um, I wanted to mention. Like I was listening to you. You guys were talking about um, Wi-Fi, Laura, and and I believe you had uh, you were you were talking about a CW uh, key that you were using to do CW over Ethernet. And during the course of the conversation, like everybody understood how uh, TCP/IP worked, buffering, frame rates, and um, just overall IP networking. And I was like, wow. So a, a lot of times, when I, what I've noticed is, is that when a group of of hams get together generally the couple of them have expertise in different pieces of the hobby or different aspects of the hobby. And it's typically one person talking about the one piece of the conversation and another one um, with the podcast that I was listening to, I was just like, wow, these guys are really well-rounded. Um, it, was, it, was, it was very uh, engaging. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I mean, we really try to do that. I mean, it's, it's all rather natural. I mean, we all come at, at it with the things that we like or the things we know. Um, and we, you know, we don't, we have some overlaps and a lot of differences, and the areas where we're not expertise, we don't have expertise. We want to get people on who know right. something about that. The, one of the tricky things is that we really set out for for the podcast to be technically deep enough so that somebody who's a really experienced ham or an engineer could actually get some value out of it. Hey, Mr. To, hey, how's it going, George? All right, nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt too much, but I, I, it took me a minute to realize the dude was missing, and there's like a little hole down in the corner where I belong. So <laughs> yeah, I it makes I'd it jump on, makes it uneven. Yeah, T is so, one of our one of our regulars. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen you. I've I've seen your channel. Oh, great. <laughs> um, and you and you came back a second time. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, judgment's a question, um, right? <laughs> so just to come to, to complete the thought, you know, we we really we wanted to present a topic with enough technical depth that somebody who really knows something would take something away from it. But at the same time, we also want to talk about it so that if you don't know anything about it, you don't feel alienated. Like you don't want to feel like, oh, these guys get together and they talk. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. And I got nothing out of it. Um, so we, we try to to really span it. And that's really that that's one of our biggest challenges is it's it's easy to be very superficial and you don't get much out of it. And it's easy to go really deep and m lose everybody. But how do you do it in a way that surely balances relatable that. across the? Yeah, no, I think I think you guys are doing a fantastic job with it. Um, when when I was like I said, when I, I used to listen a long time ago, and then I've listened to periodic shows. Like when you uh, went on Josh's channel, I went right back and listened to all the you know building. Like I think you have one called two hundred and fifty dollar uh, workbench or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, that was really fun. But um, the, the way that the approach that you guys have, now I noticed like we, we call it chasing squirrels here where we'll get distracted and go down a, a rabbit hole. <clears throat> and I was telling T.O. and Chuck last night, I was like, you know, I was like, when these guys go down a rabbit hole, it's still germane to the topic or it's of a technical nature. We'll start talking about barbecue or, uh, <laughs> you know, you know it's like I got a speeding ticket. Let me tell you how mad I am about the speeding ticket. Oh, I got some um, speeding ticket stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, we do try to keep it on topic. Um, we, we do... Uh, you know, we have plenty of time to rat hole and, and we do that. But if we record something and, and we go down a real, a real rabbit hole on something that's completely unrelated, mm -hmm. we get pretty critical about it. I mean, we'll, we'll listen to it and think, you know, if I were listening to this, I wouldn't want to listen to this <laughs> and we'll, we'll cut that chunk out, but we don't do that as much as we used to. Um, so I think people are better prepared or <laughs> better behaved now. Yeah. Well, for for what um, for what we do here on our show, a lot of times people come back and say that they that's the part that they like is this yeah. when we go off tangent and start talking about, and, and you know, folks will say stuff like, "Oh, well, that makes you feel like you're real people." It's like you're you're talking to, uh, you know, friends at the at the ham club or at the barbecue or whatever it happens to be. But 
You know, we, we, and that's what's something we try to do in that, I mean, we, we don't tend to go off topic too much, but, mm-hmm. but we, we try to keep the, um, the dialogue conversational and inclusive. And, and some of the, the greatest um, feedback we got were people that would say things like, you know, I, I feel like I'm in the room with you guys listening to your conversation. Um, right. and, and that's really what we want. We, you know, what I, what I don't want to do is I don't want this to be a lecture. I mean, the last thing in the world is, is me on the mic telling you something and just giving you a monologue. I wouldn't want to listen to that. <laughs> so right. why would anybody else want to listen to that? And so the byplay between the people, just like you guys do here, is, is really important. Because that way, you know, you also spark qu- other questions like, oh, now that you mentioned it, what about this? And, you know, then, and then right. it really gets more interesting. Well, it didn't, like uh, the podcast I was listening to last night didn't, like we got to an hour and a half in, I think, when, we, when you started talking about the directional antennas. It didn't feel like I was there for an hour and a half at that point in time. Um, felt like two felt, or three? Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it, 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 went, it, went by, it went by pretty quick. So was, He was running out of grass to cut. Yeah. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> That's right. how CEO does That's it, right? Another lap, yeah. I've got to figure out how to, I've got to pipe it into my uh, iPhone. And so I can just, because like yesterday, I was pulling gutters off. It would have been nice to be listening to that instead of just pulling gutters off the house, you know? I don't have an HO. So I'm not in an HOA here, so. I find that I can work longer when there's a podcast going on. Like, usually I'll right. be out and I'll be doing something like, oh, I'm just tired of this. But with the podcast going on or something, I'm like, eh, it's show's not over. It's almost, it's almost like George is there helping you mow, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so actually, George, I, I, see, I yeah, I see your call sign there, KJ6VU. Is that a vanity call? What, what's no, the reason behind that? That is a random call. Oh, weird. It is totally a random call. My my first call, my novice call, was WN6CMM, which is a lousy call. Then I had WA6YPS, which was uh, my tech general advanced call for most of the time. And then about I don't know, twenty years ago, fifteen, twenty years ago, I I did my extra and. um Oh, actually, this was my advanced call because advanced calls are two by twos. And it was just random assigned. And then when I got my extra, I just kept it because I, I like the call. Excellent. You weren't going to be one of those uh, advanced holdouts. You know, like some folks are like, I'm never going to extra. I'm staying advanced for the. No, I need the extra 25 <laughs> Casey at the bottom of the band. I know, especially 40, right? Spread out. Yeah. Yeah. I need the real estate. Yeah. I'm going to have to. Up, update here soon so uh one of the questions i wanted to ask you is that is your the, your favorite episodes of ham radio workbench are they the most popular or uh, is it the other way around uh gosh um i i really can't even begin to say which my my favorite episodes are uh there's just there's like just too many um interesting guests i think that we've had to really say one is better than the other ones i'll tell you what are the most popular um, the most popular episodes are on antennas sure. and, uh, not surprising. I know you guys talk about antennas a lot. Mm-hmm. So, right. not, you know, there's a reason why we talk about antennas. A there's lot. A, yes, exactly. <laughs> so so we, <laughs> in the last, I think in the last year, we've probably done three or four shows on antennas. We've, we've done wire antennas. We've done, uh, directional antennas. Like you mentioned, we did mm. magnetic loop antennas. Um, we're, we've got a, a special guest coming up. Um, in about two months on stealth antennas, who a guy who wrote a book on stealth antennas is quite the expert. Cool. So, uh, anten- you know, everybody can relate to that. So I think that's like a common ground thing, whether you build them or buy them or whatever you like to do, portable home. Um, it, it, and also antennas are, uh, a lot of people know that like the technician side of an antenna. I, I know if I, if I cut this and screw this and measure that, mm. then I get this. 
I don't know really why it does that, but I know right. that's what it does, right? We all kind of know that. And what people don't know is really though, you know, how does it really work? Because it's, you know, it's not intuitive. Like if you're doing a DC circuit and you put in a switch and current stops flowing, you kind of get it, you know, it, it, sure. it's not a lot of imagination involved. When you put a choke on a wire, it's like, I don't know what this thing is doing, but I see the effect. Right. So antennas are really a mystery at that next level. And, and so that's what we're trying to do with, we're trying to do two things with antennas. One is, is what is really behind sort of the, I'll say the physics. I don't mean to sound so fancy, but what's right. the physics? What's really going on? But uh, also, what's the practicality? So, so like, if I'm going to put up an infant antenna, do I need a choke or not? Why do I need a choke? Where do I put a choke? How? What kind of a choke do I need? Does it really matter? You know, because yes. there's a lot of bad advice out there. <laughs> you know, because the, the bad advice is, when I did it, I did this and it worked. Therefore, exactly this should work for you. And and often that's. Not true. That's not the case, right? Well, well that, that becomes the tribal knowledge, and we talk about that a lot here where, um, you know, somebody will – we always talk about the G5 RV because it's so controversial, and um, I was reading in a forum somewhere. I don't remember where it was, and the guy just says, hey, I just put on a G5 RV. I'm super pumped about it. Can somebody tell me what my uh, impedance should be at 40 meters? And the first comment is, is that why did you get a G5 RV? And then the next one is, is that, well, you know, there's better antennas out there. And the guy just got roasted over his choice to get a G5. And I'm like, can't somebody just help him out? Why? Because yeah. it was um, 40 bucks. That's why. <laughs> I'm just like, well, it's it's it one of those again. antennas that always pops up, too. Because they lied to you. They said antennas. it was an all-band, all-mode antenna. And that's just not true. So what we really try to do is like is keep the value judgment to yourself. I mean, there what what we really want to do is is like, is a G5 RV antenna good or bad? And the answer is... It depends. It, it's sure. on a spectrum of options, and it's you know relative to something, it's great. Relative to something, it stinks. So right. it depends. Like if you have infinite space and towers and infinite money, it's probably a poor choice. If it's the only thing you can put on the air, it's awesome. So that antenna yeah, was that's fantastic right. for Lewis. Yeah, that's not bad. It's just you know it is it is what it is on a spectrum of options, and um, it's like any yeah, antenna. It, that, that's exactly like what we do the, here. The best. Just try it. To you always yeah, says sure. the best antenna is the one you have up, you know. And you know, you and the an worst antenna, antenna is the terrible. one that you, the, the one you wish you could put up if only you had the time and the space and you wait to do it and then you never exactly. get to it. And that's that's the biggest mistake. Get on the put air, up something. Fun. Yeah. So Don wants us to ask you, what do you think of the DX Commander? I mean, I don't have one. Um. So yeah. and and I haven't used one, so I'm I'm not objective at all. I've seen Callum's videos. The to the best of my uh, understanding, it appears to be a multi-band ground mounted quarter wave ground plane right so so nothing, so the, the following comment magical. has nothing to do with callum's and the only thing that's a legit uh comment on callum's antenna is how he manufactures it mm -hmm. exactly. if you just look at it electrically um it's a quarter wave ground mounted ground plane so how good is that it, it's an average okay antenna i mean it's 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 fine um the the uh, the biggest issue with those antennas is do you ground mount them or do you elevate them? Because if you ground mount it, then you have a lot of ground losses and you have to put out a lot of radials to, to get it to be more efficient. Uh, if you elevate it, then you could use tuned radials and it's a more efficient antenna, but it's kind of a pain. So, right. Well, know, with it being multi-banded, the tuned radials on elevation, I think would be challenging, right? So what I like about the, the design of the DX Commander is, is that it, 
it, it seems complex when you look at it, but it's really a simple kit. It's a kit build that, that just about anybody could do yeah. um, and then get up. And I think that a lot of people are amazed when they put it up because, you know, they'll graduate from something like a compromised G5 RV or dipole that's not mounted at the optimum height and stuff like that. And they put this vertical in and all of a sudden their takeoff angle is getting them out further than they, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. Like they typically go from like, that horizontal to vertical experience and then people are like wow wow look at this and well it's a trade-off like so so here my my home antenna is a 6b tv so it's a it's a trap vertical and the base of the antenna is on the second story so i have elevated tuned radials for it now if you compare that to the dx commander the dx commander for the some of the bands will be better because the elements are more full-sized sure. so so that'll be better um but if you compare it to a dipole both of these verticals will be noisier in an urban environment. So a, a dipole will be less noisy, but depending on the elevation of the dipole uh, and the band you're on, you you may be pointing your signal more upward than outward. So so your point about you know that you're shooting at the horizon with a vertical for sure is true, especially on like forty. Uh, but it's going to be noisier. So it, again, it's like it's a trade-off. Yeah. yeah, and so um, I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to talk about that noise. So. At the same time, because you're getting that lower trajectory angle, you're also getting stuff coming in at that same angle that's not, ex not exactly ham radio. And that's why, because people are always like, well, why are the verticals so noisy? And it really is, is that they're more prone to interference because of that takeoff angle, right? Well, it, what it really is, is that um, in the, the, the RF energy that's generated by RF, I don't mean intentional radiators like a transmitter. It could be unintentional you know, radiation from your switching power supply. Noise is vertically polarized. So the E-field noise is vertical. So if your antenna is vertical and the E-field noise is vertical, you're going to hear it better. If it's or if your antenna is horizontal to the E-field noise, then you're 20 dB down from there. So you're not going to hear it as much. That, that's essentially the difference. So it's it's not so much your vertical so you can hear more stuff. There's probably some some of that too, but it's really the fact that the noise is vertically polarized that's more susceptible so to that. Kind of back to that two-meter awesome. horizontal vertical thing. Is you, you automatically just drop the, the noise down when you go yeah, horizontal. Yeah, that's less prominent at VHF um, right. than HF. But yes, I mean, the, same concept, basically. Same concept. Yeah, that, that's true, a little bit. So you're talking about taking a vertical and elevating it and then adding tuned radials to it. That part makes sense, but what's the minimum elevation? Uh, it doesn't really matter uh the well okay so I, I would say anything three feet or over um with tuned radial starts to matter if the as you get within within a foot or two of the ground and you start to lose that elevated radial effect so it's obviously it's it's not binary so it, you know the closer you get the more of an effect there is the ground losses increase the closer you get to the ground so mm -hmm. if you have a let's say a stake in the ground and the antenna is mounted within the first foot off the ground and the radials are draped on the ground then you're really in the worst condition unless you have a big radial field. Uh, now, by the way, I would quickly add, if the best you could do because of whatever circumstance right. is that antenna with two radials in the ground, Couldn't agree go more. for it. You'll work right. a lot of stations. You know? You'll know, you love FT8. You'll learn CW. You're not going to work a lot of sideband running your 705, but you know it's what you could do. Mm -hmm. But as you start to elevate it, you'll start to see a difference at a, like three or four feet off the ground. I, I'll tell you, one of my favorite uh, POTA antennas that I've used recently is just a MFJ 17-foot whip on 20 mm -hmm. with, with I put like about 6 to 10 radios out, and that thing just kicks butt. Yeah, you've got a nice quarter wave on 20. That's an, uh, that's an yeah. excellent antenna. Full, see, this is, uh, th this is really, um, I think, one of the most important things to think about in the performance of your antenna. If you have a full-size 
quarter wave on the band you're on with mm -hmm. no loading coil, it'll be very efficient antenna, yeah. both for receiving and transmitting. If you were to shorten that thing down to like six feet with a big loading coil in the middle, it's not going to work as well. It'll, the exactly. transmitter will be happy, but <laughs> the antenna won't right. work as well. Yeah. That's been, I mean, for me, I don't know how much uh, parks on the air you've done, but for me on the West coast, it seems like there aren't as many people as back East that are really into POTA. Now, so does a different story. Um, but, uh, so I've, I'll, I'll start with some 40 cause it's, you know, early morning type stuff usually. And, uh, and we have to fight the, the, the broadcast stations from uh, Asian stuff for the first part of the morning, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just end up going to my 20 meter and just, I mean, all over the country with that thing. It just, it works. It, it, is, it takes me five minutes to set it up. Yeah. Th that makes a great antenna. Uh, it really yeah. does. And what do you use for 40? Um, I've, I've got mold. I've got, uh, I've got infed half waves. I've got uh, uh, link dipoles. Link dipoles probably the best probably the best one as far as uh straight 40 mm -hmm. um i've i've done i've done my own dx commander I've, I've bought a dx commander so i can do i can do that also i mean i just don't if i'm just going out and if a lot of times like when i drive to like big hill i talked about earlier it's a two-hour drive there and two-hour two-hour drive home i don't want to set up a dx commander i mean yeah and last time i went i just i did my my 100 watt infed half wave and it worked great so my, uh, f for quick setup, the antenna I really like is just a random wire antenna and a tuner. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, uh, my goal was to set up a portable station in five minutes and take it right. down in less. And if it takes a lot more than that, like I'm just not that interested. I, I just don't want to spend two hours setting up something that I'm going to use for an hour and then have to pull it all apart. And I'm going to do that like once. You know, my favorite, my favorite uh, antenna with uh I don't know if you ever watched the videos from Pacifica when we did uh, Mount Pacifica with uh, Josh is my, uh, I made a, like a, what they call a, a, a speaker wire antenna or mm -hmm. it's a dub. It's basically a doublet. I just, I use better wire than a speed than speaker wire and it's super lightweight. And that, that, uh, <laughs> that KX2 will, will go, I've, I cut it for around 40 and then it'll tune all the way up to 80 with no, I'm, I'm sitting there on the top of Mount Pacifica listening to guys who knows where, talking on 80 that night you know it was and you talk about simple it's basically throw it up pull it out hit the tuner and go yeah yeah well that wires are great that yeah. way uh we did uh field day with uh, with wayne uh, n6kr who's mm -hmm. uh, one of the elecraft founders and and um wayne would take a kx1 and and like he'll say i'll be back in a while and he'll like go walk up to some hill and just right. take a wire and check it in the tree, and then he'll make like twenty more, times more contacts than the rest of us. Yeah, but he's doing this. <laughs> well, yeah, he's doing CW, but 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 so are we. The problem or the difference oh, okay. is that he knows what he's doing. Right, <laughs> we're like creeping along, <laughs> well, and he's like, you know. Basically, that antenna you're talking about is basically what KX or Elecraft has in their book. This is what you should try. This this mm -hmm. long of a of a a wire with this long of a ground wire, you know. So, and uh, we actually went with. Uh, Kevin, um, I can't remember his call sign now. He's a big soda guy down in the LA area, and that's all he uses. He's, he, all he takes his mask for is to hang it up in a tree. He, uh -huh. he puts the end of the wire up on that, lifts it up, and then elevates his his radio. You know, and he he was he was he was killing it. Probably what Wayne does. Stuff, I, uh, yeah, well, Wayne doesn't bother with the pole. Wayne just chucks it in the tree, and if it yeah. clumps up, he he's like he's a good enough operator. It doesn't matter apparently. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, he's he's designed a lot of radios. I oh guess. my god! But yeah, all that all that QRP stuff is his his ideas, I think. Yeah, I uh, I I've I've built a bunch of his radios. I built the NorCal forty, the Sierra, mm-hmm. um, and then they started Elecraft. And I built a a K two, a K one, a KX one. Uh, you know, I built a bunch of them. Uh, they're they're just amazing. That the the thing that just um, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, really early on, all of the like the the tuning circuits all used latching relays. So if you're a dyed in the world QRP, battery consumption's everything. Right. And if you have an auto tuner and the relays are active, they're all sucking juice at the same time. It's like not great. And so he used latching mm-hmm. relays that are more expensive. But once they set, they don't right. take any power. And so when I saw that, I thought that is, that's really smart. Yeah. I can't, um, I can't get rid of my KX too. Cause it's just the size of that thing is just, and, and how light it is. I mean, it, it'll do yeah. 10 Watts with a battery that's built in. I just, I kind of, well, never mind. Charging that battery is really <laughs> difficult though, Chuck. Oh yeah. It takes me half a second <laughs> to take it out. <laughs> that's the biggest pl- complaint that you hear on a KX2 is, well, that battery is really hard. To well, take that goes, out. It goes back to that tribal knowledge thing well, that we were talking about. People get so hung up on one particular thing that <clears throat> it umbrellas over the whole brand. It's yeah. just crazy. The only yeah. thing I think about the battery off coming out of that is they could have done something, maybe figure something better with, for the speaker wire. Cause I'm always afraid that I always tuck that speaker wire in that little hole, mm. you know? Yeah. It's a brilliant radio. Um, oh yeah. It, it it's probably the probably the the best performance for the size and weight. I mean, if you're right. going on a backpacking trip right. and you really wanted to do serious operating, it's kind of the radio to bring. Um, if you know, if you you can go with like a QCX or some other smaller radio, if you want to just do CW, maybe right. less power for smaller, but just all around uh, kind of performance for the for the size and weight. I, I I don't think you can beat it. Um, by the way, much as I love my 705, that's more the you know the deluxe radio, but it's it's definitely not a lightweight if, backpacking. If radio. I was in it, if I was really into digital modes, the 705 would probably be a go to for me. I just I don't know where that radio fits per, for me. It doesn't fit anywhere for me. Icon really, knows where that radio fits. Not saying anything good or bad about it. I th- yeah. What I've seen is that they release the radio and then like stuff happened after it was released, like kind of like the iPad. Like, I don't know what this thing's for. I don't know why you need it, but here it is. And now all of a sudden, like everybody's got three. So right. I think that's where the, the I think it's a great is. radio. I just guess I'm, I mean, and if nothing else, it's going to move hopefully ham radio a little forward with some of the stuff. It's yeah. the technology. See, I think it's, I think it's really more of like a POTA type radio. Like everybody talks about where it fits in. It's not something you're going to carry up to the top of a mountain. And, you know, I'll say to people, it's not a backpacker's radio. And they're like, but it, it comes in a backpack. But I'm like, that's no. not the backpack that you're going to take up the soda hike with you. It it's, comes uh, in a book bag. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What I know. Like. It's own backpack yeah. to put inside your backpack, right? I, I love it. I think it's a, I think it's a really cool radio. Um, oh, I, I think there's a lot, of in, a lot of innovation in there. But to like Tio's point, like they're saying, oh, well, now you can do this with the Bluetooth or now we have a Wi-Fi access point in it. And um, so I, I just am excited to see what kind of developments there's, come along with future firmware. There's this thing that's happening now, and I don't really understand it, but I, I feel like when you look at that radio, and maybe I'm just armchair quarterbacking and I have no idea what I'm talking about and completely ignore me, but I feel like the the very first thing I did when I looked at that radio was I plugged in the microphone and then all of a sudden the audio chain started coming out of the speaker mic. Correct. I just leave that unplugged. If you're going to do that, which makes sense to have a speaker mic, right? don't have the built-in speaker. And save space. 
and then do something else with that space. Like that seems like the most obvious thing to me, but maybe there's a reason for it that's totally escaping me. But like there's room there that was wasted, especially because like, I don't know what's worse, having a speaker mic and having the sound come out of the microphone or having the unplugged wire just dangling off in free space doing nothing. Both of those are Wait, they could have t- take a speaker out and put a, put a tuner in there. Yeah, I actually use the VS3 uh, Bluetooth mic uh, with it. And don't don't bring the the oh, coily cord mic. Tip. Just yeah, just because it takes up more space. Although, like you said, it's not it's not a weight optimized radio to begin with, so it's kind of. No. I mean, so the speaker it... mic is fantastic. the The odd part is the the second wire and the built in <laughs> speaker. Like those three things combined, oh, right. just like what, what were they thinking? Whatever. You know, I'm I think just... the Japanese manufacturers are pretty <laughs> traditional in the way they do radios. And and so I think the notion of it's a radio, therefore it has to have a speaker is kind of the norm. And I so I think they kind of follow the traditional, mm-hmm. you know, that's what a radio does. Uh, you know, that's what you got. Uh, you've probably seen that. Uh, I can never get it straight. The TX599 yeah. mm-hmm. uh, radio. It doesn't have a speaker in it. It's It uses the speaker mic as its speaker. Yeah, that's that's a sore subject here. We have some guys here trying to get those and nobody <laughs> oh, yeah. can get a hold of. Yeah, <laughs> they've got some sexy, sexy additions accessories. Oh for yeah, that. they do. The, the battery pack that directly bolts onto the frame and looks exactly like it was designed from the factory to be there. Oh, that's amazing. The amplifier that does the same thing. Now, if you can, I haven't seen it. Probably you can. If you stack all three of those together, I mean, the radio is now like this thick. Well, then if you put a tuner, the amplifier, the tuner. Right. Right, it's gonna it's gonna end up being the size of a, de- of a desktop rig. It'll be the size of a right. seventy three hundred. Next, we're gonna right. need to have like the color screen option and the, the full on keyboard and Raspberry Pi board. And so, what's what's funny is when when Elecraft was first coming out with the uh, with the KX three, uh, my my feedback to them was, what you really should do is design this so you can snap a back pack. I don't know what you call it. You can snap a module on the back that exactly what these guys are doing. So you've got the core radio, and what what's missing is going to be battery and power amplifier. So what you really should do is make a companion module that's got at least twenty watts, uh, if not, you know, ideally fifty, but let's say it's somewhere in the middle there, and then a battery pack. So you, you can like you can teammate. optionally snap it on. Yeah, I, the I, battery pack is actually not made by them though. It's made by a company in Germany, right? Yeah, and. Um, same thing with an amplifier. Folks are talking about a, a, an amp for it that snaps on, but it's not made by um, Lab 599. Oh. I, I think it's a really nice. I was really, when, when that, that radio was announced, I'm like, oh, maybe I will get rid of my KX2, you know? And then I started looking at the specs. And I'm like, uh, no, I brought my, I, I bought mine because I want it to be small. And I, I looked at the specs. It's a half inch narrower than my, my it's basically the same size as my 991A across the front. The 705 mm-hmm. it's half, it's like an inch or half an inch narrower and to me it's like move that screen over give me take take the take the speaker section and make it the width of the the screen the whole radio and it, i don't know it, it's i mean people love it they're going to sell a million of them so and i that, like the fact that it's 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 milled out of a block of aluminum i, I mean the, oh, the construction yeah, is the 599 yeah yeah i, I mean the construction is beautiful i i just I'm not sure about all the the wires like flying out the sides is a little weird um, to me. Yeah. You were talking about the 705. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I really i I was like, wow, that's that's a really cool radio, and it just it just doesn't. I don't know if I'm going to carry something for a pod. I just take my 991, 100 mm-hmm. watts. I can always do five watts if I want to. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, George, on all the wires coming out. I had the 599 on order last fall, and um, and it was cheaper then, too. And uh, I just was waiting and waiting and waiting, and they were saying, you know, every reason in the world why I wasn't getting it. And then um, in a moment of frustration, I canceled my order and then ordered the uh, 705. And the what I really like about the 705 is, is that, like, I like to do digital modes and um, – in some cases, I would have to use like an external GPS on my Raspberry Pi to sync the clock for my uh, uh, for WSJTX. Now I can just do that with the built-in GPS in wirelessly in the 705, mm-hmm. um, and now I don't need the cord to go between whatever device I'm I'm using and the 705. And it's just a the experience, the interface experience on that is just it blows me away. Yeah, I th- I think that they did a lot of things really really right in that radio. I think the uh, I do too the whole single USB or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth connectivity. It's like, well, finally, you know, I mean, as as consumers, you know, like why, why is it taking you so long to figure these things out? And, and so I'm just happy to finally see somebody's doing that. I've been into cameras for, since I started YouTube stuff and it's like every month Sony or Canon brings up a new, you know, a new design. And I I know there's probably, I don't know that there's less to it, but, probably a little bit less to it, but it's just, it seems like, like you said that they're the Japanese manufacturers kind of stick with what works and they don't really vary from it. You know, like the US, problems- USB micro cables. Right. Yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I think part of the challenge, like in the ham market is, is they have to hit a price point right. that, uh, you know, a, a lot of hams are going to be very price sensitive. And so every time you put, a um, dollar's worth of your cost into the product, you've got to sell it for another five bucks. Mm-hmm. So there, it's you know what the bit the 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 thing that drives me crazy is a lot of times, um, you know, guys will say, "Why don't they just do this? That would that would only be another five dollars, and it would make the radio well." First of all, the thing that you're suggesting really doesn't cost five dollars; it would cost them like ten dollars. But if they put ten dollars of cost in it, they'd have to charge fifty dollars more for the radio. Right. So, at, you know, they could infinitely add features, and at some point, you know, they're going to price themselves out of the market. So, right. you have to find that that balance between, you know, a, a selling point and a feature set that most people would want, um, and you know, w- what would sell the most radios. So, I, I don't really begrudge them that. Right. No, I don't either. Although I will carp about the FT eight ninety one not having a USB connection. Yeah, it was which new is enough. not the stupidest thing. It has a USB connection, but no sound card. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, the yeah. no sound card. Can you it, just I mean, to be really. pedantic? Because that's what. Thank we you. Do. No, I appreciate it. your excellent point. But that's that's you know that is dumb. I mean that is that really they should have totally, jacked up totally that radio agree. fifty bucks and put a sound card in it. Right. But as a new ham, and I'm not arguing with you. I'm just bringing up a point. As a new ham, that six hundred seven hundred dollar radio price point literally makes no sense whatsoever. I, I I don't know enough to justify that cost. All I know is they're all this price. Okay, I guess I'll just suck it up and buy this one. And that's not what you want to do as a as a hobbyist. You want to look at that thing and you want to go, gotta have that. That's why. And I look at that radio and I don't know what I don't know. And you like why would somebody buy that? Well like what features does it have? Like when you when you set oh. out like imagine back way back when when you bought your first HF rig. What were the killer features that you needed to have? I literally didn't know. I, I well, those like, rotary spark gaps were pretty broadband at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet they were. Good thing they're illegal now, right? Um, so I reached out to a couple of people in the local club, and they're like, what do you want to do with it? I'm like, I want a ham radio. I mean, I don't know what I want. Like, like yeah. there's, It's a hobby of a thousand hobbies. There's 
200 different radio manufacturers. Each of them has a different set of features that isn't very well documented. And what is documented is so technical that it's over a new ham's head. I mean, like, so people wind up buying the, the G90, which is a good radio. It's complex because it doesn't have that refinement of features like the 7300 or the um, the FTDX10 have. But, like, I don't know what any of the features are in the yeah. first place. So th this is this is a really great point. Uh, we in our club we do a ham radio 101, 101 class, which is like okay, now what? I got my license, now what? Yep. And one of the things that we talk about in the gear section for HF radios is um, how in the world do you navigate through all of this noise? Because if you look at the top ten features of an HF radio, you can find several examples yeah. where you can spend six hundred dollars or six thousand dollars and get the exact same features mm -hmm. and then you sit there and go like why is it ten times the price i mean there's got to be a reason for this and and so one of the pieces of advice that we have is for your first hf radio this is not your last hf radio this right. is not probably the best hf radio but you don't know what the best hf radio. even you won't know the best hf radio for a year so we would suggest you get something relatively inexpensive and relatively simple and probably used. And, and that's where the right. G5RV comes in. I, I want a G90 exactly. for, for 500, 600 bucks. I want a G5RV for 40 bucks. I've got a built-in tuner. I don't need that. I've got a built-in SWR meter. I don't need that. I need a power supply next, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, even if you can afford it, you don't want your first car to be a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, and then, <laughs> Our, then even when I get well, it all hooked up, like I don't know how to put the G5RV up in the air and I don't yeah. know what to do once I get every, like... Okay, so I've got my G5 RV up in an inverted V. I've got my radio hooked up to my power supply. I've got it turned on. I'm spinning the knob. I'm hearing things. And then what? <laughs> you know, yeah. there's just, it's such a big, big hobby. You know, and I, I've talked to plenty of guys who've, who, who's like, yeah, I can afford to buy whatever I want. So they go out and they spend three grand on their first HF radio. And then they realize that the thing that they really want to do, that radio is okay at, but not the best. Yeah, you know, I spent three grand on a radio. I've got a seventy six ten or an FTDX one hundred one, and now I want to go portable. Uh uh Yeah, or or, <laughs> or or like let let's say for example, I I've seen this where um, if you really get into CW, and a lot of guys don't know they're going to get into CW when they start, then you maybe will. your best bet would have been an Elecraft radio because Elecraft has got the best CW um, operation because it's you know it it's pure solid state switch. There's no relay clattering. It you can do. QSK, it's you know, it's probably the best at that. Whereas there's other radios that are probably maybe not better at sideband, but they are have maybe a different user interface that you like better. And because maybe it's not as fiddly or there's not as many options, or it's more, you know, you just like the you don't like the tinny box feel of the Elecraft. You want the solid cast aluminum feel of a Japanese radio. And right. maybe that's what makes you happy. But you like, what do you know? I mean, you don't know when you're starting out. So um, so unless you can just like spend infinite money multiple times in which case like sure buy them all but right um yeah that's one of the things i like about the g5 rv we say we say it's complex but the there's only a limited number of settings on that thing you, you know what i mean like you don't have all the advanced filtering you don't right. there's there's lots of things it does not have so for me i think I'm it's sorry, actually which, which is that which the, the g90 the, i think you meant to say the g90 yeah oh, what i say g5 rv i'm sorry yeah but yeah no the, G, the g90 um a lot, and a lot, but a lot of hands will get oh it's only 20 watts um, a lot of folks today are wanting to do FT8 and do digital modes and 20 watts is fine for that. 
and that's where the problem at digital modes. <laughs> yep. That's where the problem <laughs> yeah. comes in. I was like, it's like a getting audio in and out of that and cat control through the same user interface. It's doable. It's the same port. It's just more difficult sure, than sure. it needs to be. Like, so my recommendation for people is buy a 7,300 or an FTDX 10 and out of the box, you're going to have like very little frustration a large amount of capability to kind of grow with you. It's not terribly expensive. Like the, my argument with the 891, the 891 plus the sound interface plus the tuner, and now you're at the same cost as the 7300 and you don't have the waterfall display. And you're yeah, always going to want Absolutely it. right. That, that's our recommendation too is, is if this is your first time HF radio, if you can spend a grand, there really is no other choice, frankly. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you if you can't spend the grand, then I would look for something good used from a friend. You know, someone you could trust. Right. That, that, right. that that you get the best bang for your buck. And whatever you buy used, you can turn around and you know flip it in a couple of years for the same thing you paid for it. And the seventy three hundred, what's going to happen is you're either going to realize you want that seventy six ten or that flex or that whatever, and you're going to keep the exactly. seventy three hundred right. as your backup slash poda slash field day radio, mm -hmm. or you're going to sell it and make you know. 60% of what you bought it for back. So, you know, well worth Some it. Some people think it's, they're, they, they're trying to sell it for what they came out. I think they were like $1,500 <laughs> to start with. And it's like, yeah. dude, you know, you I can got buy the original box. For... I got the original <laughs> box. Numbers matching. <laughs> Obviously, they don't look at what that radio goes for now. I, yeah. I saw the 705 on eBay for two grand and at the same time on Gigaparts for 1200 with a $100 rebate. Like, why? Yeah. yeah. It was rhetorical, by the way. Yeah, I was actually going to give a dissertation as to why. I, I don't want the chat to get excited. The chip, the, the chip shortage. No, I'm just kidding. The we, chip shortage. We, yeah. we saw chat on Thursday night. Just go after Carlos. It was just, it was a sight to behold. Never bet against chat. Yeah. So um, we're starting to run out of time, but we we did want to ask you a couple of workbench questions around uh, test equipment or or. Uh, got something really intriguing. The elephant in the room over his shoulder there. Yeah, I did see that. I what? thought that was a Raspberry Pi tower at first, but I don't oh. know. Um, you want to know what that is? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah. All right, I'm hang sure on. Don't, don't just dangle the carrot in front of us, man. <laughs> he's He's been watching my stuff, huh, where I put put a part out there on the bench. And don't say anything about it. 19-inch rack mount. Look at all these wires he's got. That's serious. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Oh. By the way, that was not a not set there as a prop. <laughs> right. it, it, now that I think about right. it, it looks like it. Um, this is the newest product that George is selling. This, this is the new pack. Of his store. <laughs> yeah, available now. I, I can't tell you what it is. So one of the projects that that I worked on. Oh, there is a pie in there. Oh, there is a pie. Yeah, there's a pie right there. Uh, so one of the projects I worked on with a good friend of mine, uh, John KJ6K, is um, a repeater control system. So we've, we've been really active in network, you know, big linked repeater systems uh, for a long time. And uh, you have to have a pretty sophisticated control system for, um, you know, to be able to connect them together. And so in our network, you could have a site that's got six, seven, eight links and repeaters, and you want to be able to interconnect them in any combination you like. So, um, so we built a repeater control system. We actually designed this thing back in 2005 and and we still make them we we basically sell them to ourselves <laughs> we, <laughs> we you know who in the world wants to build an analog linked repeater network these days like not that many people but we do um so it, it basically it's a card cage 
with a bunch of boards that that plug into it. So that was that was that project. And so I I started um, wanting to build a station automation system um, where I've got I've got multiple radios and I need to switch between uh, different antennas to different radios and turn the power on and all that kind of stuff. So I took the same um, basic design, the card cage with the back plane, but I redesigned all the circuit boards. So none of these boards are the repeater controller boards, but this is a station automation system. And so the, the heart of the system, these are all uh, four by six plug-in boards. Uh, they plug into the back plane uh, on this end and then each board does something. And so this is the main processor board. It's a Raspberry Pi 4 that mounts to the board. And then, uh, and then there's a bunch of accessory boards. Um, and like this is a relay board. So this is the backplane connector. This one only has six relays. And then you put a, a terminal block on the front here. And that's an Arduino. And so each one of the, each one of the uh, these daughter cards talks over the backplane um, to the main uh, Raspberry Pi board. Um, so there's, um, there's another one here that's a uh, digital voltmeter board that's got a high accuracy uh, differential uh, analog to digital converter on it. So the whole idea behind this is to make a modular system that lets you monitor voltages and RF power uh, switch relays, like antenna relays, power relays, um, and just like do whatever you want to do uh, to build a fancy station automation system. So the Raspberry Pi runs Node-RED, not surprisingly. That's like all the rage these days. Yeah, uh, which is an easy way to do a web-based uh, control program, and um, so that, that's the that's the idea. So I like all of my projects, like to, like Pac-10 or anything. I, I designed and built it for my own entertainment, so it's really right. to solve my own problem. And um, whether or not it actually becomes something that I make boards available or not, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point yet. That's really cool. Well, I mean, I think from what you're showing me, the the well, first off, it's fantastic just being able to snap in extra modules and have that ability to upgrade. And if you're going to sell with, if you're going to sell the backplane with like four cards and there's 20 extra slots, you're asking 20 extra hams to make 25 extra products each, and it's just mm -hmm. going to take off like a rocket. And like I can imagine, just like I've got this space right here, right below my camera, right above my keyboard, where I could put that, and I could put in like four Raspberry Pis, and I could put in you know another couple of Arduinos and that there's a digital voltmeter station right there ready to go. And like, that's just, yeah, I can, yeah. And you, you, you got it exactly. And <laughs> so one of the other applications for this is on my workbench. Um, I've got a bunch of test equipment, but sometimes when I, I want to do some sort of test automation thing, like I want to exercise something. So I, I want to write a little program that like turns on a transmitter, takes a power meter measurement, takes a temperature measurement, runs it for a minute, shuts it off. And then does that like, for a couple of hours because I want to like burn in a transmitter for the repeater or something. Yeah. Well, I could just write that in a little teeny script on the, on the pie. And I have all this physical IO that does all that control stuff. And, and that's all general purpose. You could use it for whatever you want. Yep. And, cool. uh, and, and so what I'm, what I'm going to publish is the, I define the control protocol, which is just a fancy way to say the command that you send from the raspberry Pi to the Arduino. Um, so there's a specific format for that. And each one of those, uh, Arduino's uh, on the cards has its own little dip switch. You set an address, so the the Pi can say, "Okay, board number ten, um, do this," and then board number ten gets the command, executes the command, like turn on a relay. Then board number ten squirts back a command to the Pi that said that says, "Here's the status of my 
forward. So I have six relays and they're on, off, on, 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 on. And then now the Raspberry Pi knows the status. And then with Node-RED, it just updates the display. So at this point, I got all that plumbing working. So I've got a awesome. Node-RED application with, with voltmeter gauges and with uh, L like LEDs and buttons. So you can flip the relays and you can have, uh, like, like you're saying, if you want you know, one relay board or five relay boards, you just keep adding boards and they each get their own address. And then and you can just change your Node-RED code to do that. Spectrum Analyzer in there, and you're going to have to put a VNA well, in there. And... Actually, <laughs> one of the things that I, I do want to, uh, th that I will put in here is is an SDR, just a little like a SDR play. And not because the SDR play would necessarily talk to any of this, except I want a place to put it. So after a while, you get a bunch of crap in your workbench. You got these all these little boxes with wires everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things and, I write about the and, pie. And so... So, ex so exactly. So like uh, one of the boards that I don't have here in the room, but um, you know what? Uh, uh, we talk about this analog discovery thing a bunch. So the analog discovery is a, a, a little puck about three inches square, about an inch tall, USB it's connected. It's got wires going like this out of it. It's got wires coming out one end of it. Yeah. Oh, or, or if you put the, the BNC thing on it, yeah, you get that. So, so it's, an, it's an oscilloscope and a signal generator and some other stuff. And so I made an adapter card where you just mount it to this board and you plug it in and it gets power off the back plane. And then it brings um, the, the um, little header where the signals are out to connectors on the front edge or optionally routed to the back plane. Can so, you use the Raspberry Pi as the display or interface for that uh, discovery? Uh, you can. So so the, uh, the, the 82 software is called Waveforms and Waveforms runs on Windows, Mac and Linux. So yeah. gotcha. So I, I, when you talked about it on Josh's stream, I immediately started foaming at the mouth and was going to. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. He was. He had it in his. Car, he had in the cart within five minutes. <laughs> did you buy one? <laughs> I did not. Um, and I went back and forth. And the thing was, is that I wanted to be able to do better spectral analysis, and I felt that the spectrum analyzer on that tool was a little limited for what I wanted to do. So I ended up buying uh, Siglent um, spectrum analyzer Whatever instead. Whatever you need to do to let yourself sleep at night, Abe. <laughs> The analysis just wasn't good enough to suit my needs, so I had no, to no. I didn't. Else. I didn't want to say it was my needs, but I, I wanted to have something where I could get more spectrum uh, on the screen. If if you want to do audio work, then the analog discovery is fine. Mm -hmm. If you want to do RF work, then it's not. It's not built for that. Yeah, so Dave, that's that's Dave um, made a good decision. Tio, <laughs> which is bad. Probably got probably lucked into that uh, that good decision. So they're making fun of me in the chat. A little less. Uh, and Joe Brent says, Ape, Ape with the big words, big fancy words there. <laughs> and Jim, yeah, Jim's, of course, in the chat stuff. pushing it. <laughs> oh, so, I know. Jim, Jim, he's into, he's into the, the, that stuff. Get and he's it, like, get it. you guys need to Buy get it. one of these. You know, I need get to get it. one, you know? <laughs> well, I, I do know want to, to do pick up it. a scope. But this, uh, one of the things is, is, for me, it's very easy to understand why I would want a spectrum analyzer and the things I can do with it. Um, like I like to build, I'm working on building um, a bandpass filter and, you know, I'm like, I want to use a scope to do that. And it's going to be, I'm not scope. I want to use the spectrum analyzer to do that. It'd be really cool. Where I get confused around the oscilloscope is, is how am I going to apply that to ham radio to solve problems? And uh, I've been you know, trying to learn and stuff. And like I saw a video the other day where the guy was like, you know, we're going to use the scope to determine the length of my coaxial cable. Or he goes through the whole process. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's really cool. The way he did that, I was like, but I can use my VNA to, it, and it, it takes me less time with the VNA to do it than it does with the with the scope. Yeah, that's really uh, not what it's it, its primary purpose. I wouldn't buy it. Sure. For that. 
But yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I'm just like trying to figure out ways. Cause like a lot of times I'll see a ham that has a scope and I said, what are you doing with that scope? And like, I'm nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to measure coax, I got a tape measure, man. <laughs> I, I look really for the bend. Like taking over the world yeah. right now. That's what I'm doing with it. So if you're doing small circuit stuff, then the sure. scope is necessary. So like a lot of the stuff I do is building, you know, well, like, like these boards here, you know, all of to debug this, you need a scope. A spectrum analyzer will do you no good. So for sure. So the scope will let you look at, uh, for example, I I've, I write some program in my Raspberry Pi to talk to one of the relay boards, and nothing's happening. Well, where is it not working? Is the software not working? Is the connection not working? So the first thing I'm going to do is see, you know, when I when the program says squirt this command to the backplane. I want to put the scope probe on the backplane to see if there's any data. I, I don't need to know what the data is. I just need to know that there's something that's getting there. So I'm just going to use it to buzz out the, the signal. Once I see it there, does it look clean or does it look distorted or, or what, you know, is the voltage sagging? You know, so now the scope gives me that insight of what's the electrical signal looking like. Yeah. And, and when you talk about that analog discovery, like when, when I looked at it and I, I understand why you would recommend that as a, as a beginner scope or, I don't think scope is even the right word for it because it does come with your signal generator. It does come with a spectrum analyzer and it, it really is cool. All the different things that they squeeze into such a small footprint there. Um, it, it was tempting, but uh, I didn't, I didn't do it. Well, the other thing too, is that Pictures sometimes, on it, in a week. <laughs> sometimes it's better to get a box instrument and sometimes it's better to get that. So it depends on how you're going to use it. So if you're, if you're in a, let's say in the field and you need to use a scope, it may be more convenient to have a traditional oscilloscope in a box sure, with a sure. cable because here with this analog discovery, it's a thing and you need a laptop and you got cables and it, right. you know, it's a little gangly. However, sit like on my bench, I've, I've got regular scopes and I've got this 82. I always use the 82. And the reason is that I've got a big computer display on the bench so I can make an oscilloscope, you know, the size of my computer display and multiple windows and, and all at the same time. And it's just better. Than, than than a box instrument, so it makes box makes box total box. sense. So, what what would you uh, recommend for a new ham? What would you recommend for the workbench? The like the first things that uh, a new ham should get for his uh, workbench. I would recommend listening to the episode that eight mentioned, which is uh, building a workbench for two hundred fifty bucks, um, because yeah. we have a whole bunch of very specific recommendations. So, okay. the the very first thing is hand tools. So, you know, you need, everybody's got mechanical hand tools, you know, you got wrenches and pliers and stuff like that. So let's assume you got that. I would get some, um, you know, finer electronics hand tools, you know, wire cutters, um, needle nose pliers, that sort of stuff. But when, when you get into the electronic stuff, um, the very first thing is you want a good digital voltmeter. And you can buy one at Harbor Freight for $6, or you can buy a really good one for 150 uh, the, the best answer is probably somewhere in the middle, like a fluke. You can get a cheap fluke for 50 bucks. That's probably a good start. Um, so that, that's the first thing that you really need to have. Uh, after that, it depends on what you're doing. So if you're doing more RF stuff, probably a watt meter would be the next thing I would get. If you do more small circuit stuff, I would get an oscilloscope. Um, you want a bench power supply. So you want, you kind of want two bench power supplies. You want the the radio power supply that's like 13.8 right. volts at a bunch of amps. And then you want a uh, instrument power supply that's only going to deliver maybe one to five amps where you can control the voltage and you can control the maximum current because you don't want to fry your delicate little electronics. 
So uh, probably a decent bench supply. That's probably another you know, 50, 60 bucks. Um, yeah. so those are kind of the starters. I know one of the, I bought these at a, at a ham fest one time and I was like, I use these more than almost anything for cutting wire and stuff. I mean, I, I love the little things. They're like six bucks. I'm like, Oh, these are yeah. junk. I'm bad, but I'm going to try them out. And they were, they're great. Yeah. The, the yeah. list of the, the shopping list we put on the, on the show notes for that episode had a whole bunch of hand tools that were like five, six, seven bucks. Yeah. Uh, like those those wire cutters and wire strippers and needle nose pliers, you can really get very good quality stuff like that. Pretty pretty cheap. Pretty cheap. I believe the um, the multimeter that you guys recommended on that show notes was the one that you bought, Chuck. Oh, is the it? One, yeah, I believe it is. So I just dropped a link to that exact podcast in the chat. Yeah, and then have we, we have some episodes. We, uh, yeah, pros kits good. We we we've got episodes that we spent like an hour and a half talking about which is the best Phillips screwdriver. So we <laughs> kind of get a little detailed. Is this the one you guys? You know how I know you're a cranky old man right one. now. Uh, maybe because you argue about screwdrivers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got, I, I you got my snap on right. Yeah, I was talking to a buddy who's buying a screwdriver yeah, kit. Bust. And he's like, yeah, this screwdriver kit's like seven bucks. And it had like 30 different precision screwdrivers in it. And I'm like, you know that that's pot metal tips in there. You know that those, those tips are going to wear out the second you you start using them. I can tell like, you, I got those freebies from uh, Harbor Freight one time. And I actually busted um, screws out that I couldn't get with with other more expensive ones at times. And so, I mean, yeah, is it going to hold up to cranking on some major torque? Probably not, but... Harbor Freight is great for field day one tools. One-time use. <laughs> one, one yeah, one-time use. <laughs> one use. They're the tools that you know, you're happy to loan your neighbor because you're never going to see them again or the take to field day because they're going to get left in a bucket of water. <laughs> right. I have my heat gun is from uh, Harbor Freight, and I love it. It, it, it was, it was $9.99, I think, and uh, I, I use it yeah. all the time. I just bought this little kit, and I, I was looking for some heat shrink with the, uh, with the glue in it, you know, and it came with this little uh, – it's – it's really it's like this big around and it's a it's the, the heat gun and so it takes up way less space i've got a heat gun also for like actually mine's like a i think it's a paint remover but uh it's almost too hot but uh it was cheap i mean the whole thing was like five or six bucks i think oh, that's a good deal and it works yeah. good so the other thing you would think so about for your uh for your bench is not just the tools but parts so like you're talking about that adhesive um heat shrink so what's amazing is you go on uh, Amazon and you can get kits of anything. Um, right. I, I was working on a portable antenna where we're, we're, we've got these U-bolts that connect the antenna to the mast and they have nuts. You know, you spin the nut on there because they're mm -hmm. meant for a permanent installation, but we're using it portable. So we want wing nuts. And rather than run down to the hardware store, I just went on Amazon and you can get a pack of wing nuts, like six different sizes for 10 bucks. So I got a metric and an SAE set of wing oh, nuts. Man. So I got... I can wing nut anything at this point, and I already found something else to use them for. Yeah, wing nuts are fantastic for for that kind of quick quick deployment stuff. But to your point, you said it earlier. <clears throat> I, I'll loosen them and lose them in the grass. So what I do is I take a Teflon Teflon nut, put it at the end, and mm -hmm. then that way the wing nut can only come off so far. That's a that's right. a great idea. Yeah, that's a really yeah. that's a hot tip for a field operating. That's now you've got good. to invent nylock wing nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they have they actually have them. Um, Hard to find. I know they're single stainless. use only. I don't care. These, these <laughs> this is this is what he's talking about. Amazon. I want. I needed some. Uh, these are like 
eights or something like that. And I could buy, you know, 10 of them at the hardware store for about the same price that I bought these for, you know, I, went to, I was telling Ape, I went to eBay and bought a bunch of lock washers. Like I'm, I'm talking like four. And the only reason why I did it was because I really just despise my local big box store staff that much. They're just that evil. So I, th I think it's a great better, way to build up your, uh, you know, to, to, if you're really doing a lot of hands-on stuff, Oh, those are that's nice. Yeah, but these are they're containerized and they're stackable. So I've got like yeah, a whole bunch lock, of these with like they lock onto each other. Yeah, all kinds of connectors and just yeah, they, you can they lock them together. Um, these are fantastic. I just wanted to interject. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. No, I was just going to say that 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 we always think about tools as a thing to build up your workbench, and and so really having having uh, parts every time. Um, I'm using a part on a project. I'll, I'll get a bunch of whatever that is, yep. whether it's right. an electronic part or or a piece of hardware, because I I know I'm going to need that for something else. I don't know what it is yet, but so I know yeah. it, it's going to be there. So you want to kind of accumulate that stuff. Well, um, we're, we just started a new a project. With the the four of us are going to do, and um, you needed the uh, was it potentiometers, um, and I bought right, right. Well, I could find I could find six for eight dollars, or I could find two for nine dollars you know so <laughs> oh i'll take six yeah that's exactly exactly what i did exact same ones you know it's crazy. The, the project is we got this discontinued rig expert board oh, um, oh thanks yeah Tom. and then we're going to build a with a um arduino just build a i don't know antenna analyzer that we don't need but it was just a kind of like a spur of the moment hey we could we could do this and oh, that's uh, so, cool yeah, so they yeah. discontinued that thing yeah they did yeah. yeah right after we bought it oh wow what a shame <laughs> Like yeah, I, I don't have one of those, but I heard it's pretty good. You better. DX Engineering still has some, I think. But zero through two hundred and thirty megahertz. Hmm. Well, zero through it's, thirty is average. Zero through thirty. Yeah. Then you can yeah. edit the software and go to two thirty. I think it's but with the new version of Anscope, I think you can only go up to one one seventy. Um, How much is that know, board? Uh, it's like that's where they get you. Yeah, it was like seventy five bucks plus twelve dollars in in uh, in shipping. But they, they do they do send right you some stickers. Zero. Yeah, I got a bunch. You, of stickers. you will get your yeah. your stickers. It's a it's an RS two thirty two protocol, and you can hook it to a PC, to an Arduino, uh, to a Raspberry Pi, to a scope, to whatever. And they have software that talks to it. Yeah, they Antscope yeah. and Antscope yeah. two. Ah. Both of them will work yeah. with it. So that's these guys aren't teaching me how to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're the electronic. I mean, I can build stuff, but I'm not an electronics guy. So, so George, there's still some left if you want to get in on the action. Yeah, I got I got enough analyzers. I I just I just picked so up a, <laughs> a a rig expert AA six fifty. Um, so finally, kind of bit the bullet on that. I've I've been using MFJ analyzers, and they were fine when they were the the only thing around. Um, in our club, we we're lucky we have a uh, Unritsu Sightmaster, which is like a commercial uh, portable oh. antenna analyzer. But we're always like lending it to each other, so it, I don't have it all the time well yeah i mean if you don't use it it does return to nature so <laughs> it returns to getting lost in someone's garage and we have to go find it do you I, mess I'm with really it's growing on it okay i was gonna say do you mess with the nano vnas at all i got one I, it's kind of a pain in the butt to be honest i <laughs> i for me um this is the, like the uh the rig expert is is a better tool than a nano vna in my opinion sure because sure. it's so easy to use right Whereas yep. the nano VNA is fiddly because it's tiny and the user interface is kind of okay. Um, so, I mean, for 50 or a hundred bucks, it's, it's, it's worth playing around with, but I, I just find it not very 
convenient. I, I borrowed a, a Comet, um, and that does a lot for the money. It's like they're they're out they're out of stock right now, but they're about four hundred dollars, I think. And for what it covers compared, because I have a I have a rig expert for the the A thirty. I bought it before I got into ham radio, unfortunately. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bought. I would have bought at least the next one up that went to six meter. But uh, that that Comet does it, it's it's kind of reminiscent of the MFJs, except the battery actually lasts quite a while. Is that the one with the and, two meters on it? Yeah, it's got scope and everything on it too. But mm. the scope's really small. But it, but what's kind of neat about it for for making antennas is you can do a, a graph, and then and then you change it and then graph over it to see where it changed. I mean, I can I can do that on my my rig expert. I just remember where I was. I usually set it to where the center was and then see where it moves. You know, but uh, but it has memory. Like right? You can do a tr- you can overlay your your traces or your sweeps. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, for the for the money, you get a lot. I think. You know, I would I think the rig experts can do that. I don't know because I haven't messed with one, but I would imagine. I know the nano mine, mine won't, but uh, the newer ones might. Mm. Well, they might do it on the computer. I never, but I, see, I never hook mine to the computer. I'm out. Yeah, the thing about the rig expert that I like, like the usability that, that I really like, is you can set multiple frequencies <laughs> in multi. Like if you're doing a multiband antenna, it, mm-hmm. let, like my four BTV, it, it, if you're adjusting let's say the length for 20 meters, it's going to affect the 40 meter tuning. So ideally you'd like to look at multiple bands at the same time. And the rig expert lets you do that. And so um, there's not a lot of devices that'll let you do that. So it, it, from a field usability point of view, I think they, they really did a a very nice job. I've got the uh, five BVT. I bought it to take camping because I thought, well, maybe I could just hook that to the back of my motor home. Cause they kind of say you don't need radio, not, not hook it to it. I mean, Permanently, but yeah, let me take this thing. Oh, wow. I just lost part of it on the freeway there. <laughs> no, but, uh, and I just never, cause they kind of say you don't need radials, but you kind of really do. I well, mean, you need I ground. Was, I mean, if you're, yeah. if, if you're using I was wondering the, if my motorhome would be enough ground for it. I don't know. With the fiberglass roof. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of steel on that motorhome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like any other mobile antenna. Um, is yeah. it an, is it a sufficient ground? It's, the higher frequency bands, it's it'll be perfectly fine. So ten meters, it'll be great. Uh, Eighty meters, you know, yeah. you can get it to tune. It it won't be terribly efficient. It's hard but... to make an eighty meter antenna, let alone an eighty meter ground plane. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it'd be fine on twenty. It it, it just... would be reasonably good on forty. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to set up. I mean, you. Just, you I actually hooked it up in my backyard with a with a uh, forming stake. You know, a three foot forming stake. Just drove it in the ground, and then hooked it to that. And you then know, you can always, like, um, uh, if you really wanted to, you could, you can do what um, we we're talking about earlier. Just put a little pigtail wherever you're, like, if you have a ground lug at the at the base mm-hmm. of the antenna, put a little pigtail and a power pole or some something to strain relieve it, so That's you can just snap done, on yeah. a piece of wire and stretch it out. So that would probably make uh, a a big difference on the low band, lower bands. Yeah. Yeah, I need to pull it out again and play with it. I just I just moved it from one spot to another, not here recently, so. But, you know, for, for a portable antenna, so we just did a radio trailer project where it's, it's not an RV, it's just a, it's a, it's a trailer. It's a it's so, utility trailer. So we, um, we, we put a bunch of clamps on it so that you can mount mass to it. You can mount, you know, fiberglass mm-hmm. or, or carbon fiber mass. And so on field day, we took one of the Pactena mass and just snapped that to the two top clamps and went up 30 feet from there and just ran a wire. Uh, which is a lot easier than muscling up that 5BTV. Uh, right. 
and, and I don't think the performance would be much different. In fact, the performance on the wire on 40 would be better because it's a full quarter right. wave. Um, True. And, and it's just easier to set up. So I I tend to go that way. Yeah. Did you, did you ever look at those uh, suction cup things I sent you? The suction the, cup things? When you were, I, I, talk, I, I sent you an email on the, um, you're, you're setting, I, I listened to your podcast on, you're setting up the trailer. And I've got these, they're made for, you ever seen the suction cups they, they lift class with? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've taken oh, those. Yes. yes. I've taken those and attached those to the side of my trailer. I've my my trailer is like fiberglass, and and just bungee corded poles to it, and it's it's worked really well. But you got to watch them though. Sometimes, like I was in Arizona, the heat and then the cold at night, kind of you got to watch them. <laughs> so you kind of want, want a secondary up. thing. <laughs> you want some backup? <laughs> a little backup sometimes. We we wound up using these. Um, uh, clamps that are made for lighting fixtures. So if you if you look at like um, uh, production, like stage production gear, mm -hmm. you know they'll use like what looked to me like a tower on the side and they mount lights to it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lighting. There's like two inch tubular stuff, and they make these clamps that that like hinge open. You put around it, and then there's like a, right. a, a lever to lock it down. And and so we use those. We mounted those to the roof rack and the body uh, down at the at the at the trailer base yeah. way and, more permanent and, than my setup <laughs> yeah they're real permanent but the nice thing about it too is they just pop open you can stick the mast in there and you close it and clamp it down there's you don't have to screw anything in it, right. so that worked out really really well very quick so we're all about making it easy i mean we went through oh, many years of schlepping Believe crap me. around and setting it up so we wanted this to be quick and easy yeah check i'm going to steal that idea of the the glass lifters because like <clears throat> with my jeep i've got a flag flagpole mount <clears throat> mm-hmm that I just go put under the tire and I put the mast in there. But then when I attach the mast to the car with bungee cords, it's at a, it's at an angle. All right. So I can, inside of my Jeep, I can just put those two glass lifters right on that window, which is right above my back tire and then bungee cord it in. That's actually a really, really good idea. Yeah. They actually, if you, and you get them like, they're not very expensive off of Amazon. I actually, I've, I've used them for my ski boat. Um, they made this little thing that, that you, it's like a wedge you attach to the side of the boat. And like at ten or fifteen miles an hour, it's it's held that with all mm -hmm. the pressure of the water on it. So they they hold a lot of weight. You just they you just kind of watch them when the with the the heat changes. You know, the cold and heat. Sometimes they want to let loose. I, I had a cheap. The first ones I used were the cheap ones from uh, Harbor Freight, and they they were pretty good. They were singles. But so uh, is that the kind that you just kind of press it, or do you have like the you, little you, you push it in, and thing. it has like a little lever that oh, okay. makes it. They, they're they're. I mean. The, for what you're, you guys are setting up for multiple days, maybe not, but for like a couple hours out someplace, it, it's then I'm, I'm not screwing stuff into my my trailer. That, that was yeah. my whole thing. Well, it kind of depends on what, what you're putting on it too. So if you're if you're putting a fiberglass mask with a wire, and if it fell over, you wouldn't be too concerned. Then right. I wouldn't sweat it. But if you're putting up your fancy expensive antenna beam antenna at the top, and if it keeled over, you'd be well done. Done in Arizona. I, I have my little six meter hex beam on it with my little rotor on top. That and mm -hmm. I was making contacts down. It was I made contact to people in camp. Basically, unfortunately, the six meter wasn't open. My buddy's he's he's telling me today. He goes, "Oh, you just talked to Washington on six meter." And him and I can never contact each other. Each other, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't huh? run outside to try it when um, uh, I said that in the chat. I turned it on. Didn't you see me turn my my radios on? It's like totally. I was expecting 
totally like dangling did. a carrot in front of Chuck, telling him six meters is open. I know. <laughs> I got off one of uh, To's streams one night. I, I got to go, man. Six meters open, and I talked to Tennessee <laughs> and all Thanks, that stuff. Chuck. You know, just leave me hanging. All right, Chad. Well, you were still now. on. I just wasn't chatting anymore. <laughs> I got That's in. Funny. My buddy got me into six meter George, and I built this uh, five element LFA. It's got it's up on my tower, and I, I, I want to actually maybe improve on that, but I just haven't seen enough of it to. You know, six meter in California is not that prevalent, unfortunately. Six meters is, is very spotty. I mean, it really, yeah. you know, you have to be really on there a lot and, and looking for it. And it's seasonal. I mean, there's different times mm -hmm. of the year when it's better. Well, I've actually done better on that, the two meter net with Mike on, it's called the Bozo net. And he does mm -hmm. six on Wednesdays. And I do better on that than I do two from my house. But, uh, and they're basically the same height. But actually, the two meters a little bit higher, but oh well. But you get on the top of a mountain with two meters, and it's like a total different story. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So, actually, UHF is 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 really good um, yeah. if you're mountain topping. <laughs> so a bunch of my buddies um, are into microwave contesting, and that's kind of the extreme version of that, where mm -hmm. where you go on a mountain top with your your dish and your your 10 gigahertz transverter, and yeah. you're shooting contacts hundreds of miles on 10 gigs with like a half a watt. It's, yeah. it's really incredible. Yeah, one of the one of the guys that we do a lot of videos with, um, his name's Hayden from Ham Radio DX. He's he's really into that down in Australia. Mm. It must be bigger in Australia. Well, it's probably big here too. It just it's a, well, it's probably it's a small, really small big niche, right? with a few people, right? So it's, that's yeah, it's, yeah. It's right. It's very big with a small crowd. So what where you here in the U.S. where you tend to find it's big is where there's mountains. So right. so the West is it's very big in the West. If you go out into the plains, not so much. So, obviously, so Texas probably doesn't do it much then. Uh, there's actually some there, apparently. Is there? But because I, I hear their their tallest peaks are like thirty feet or something. They're water like tanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Texas soda tanks on the air. Tanks on the air. Yeah, yeah. Now Texas here it's really on uh, the air. It, it's very popular in the West Coast. Obviously, we have a lot of mountains, uh, and there's also a lot of uh, guys who've worked in. Uh, in the industry who can get stuff surplus, which doesn't hurt. Uh, but there's also like the, the, there's two big um, uh, millimeter wave kind of clubs. There's the San Bernardino microwave society down in SoCal and there's a uh, 50 and up club here in Northern California. So we have two really active clubs. And so they do a lot of contest stuff together. So you get people up and down the whole state um, on contest weekends. It's, it's really pretty busy. We did a, a show with uh, uh, Doug Millar, K6JUI. Uh, recently where we were talking about, you know, what's in all the bands above a gigahertz, you know, what, what goes on in each of the bands? What's it like? What kind of gear can you find? And is there much activity? And, uh, and so he's talking a lot about the contesting that they do on 10 gigs up there. Huh. Never that's really cool. thought of it, but uh, yeah, sounds, sounds pretty cool. And they're using like, like, like TV dish type things, right? Uh, they're, they're similar. dishes. They're not uh, that you could use a, a TV dish, but the TV dishes are a little weird shape. Um, so a lot of them are more symmetrical, uh, dishes, but yeah, mostly dishes. Um, they'll, they'll, you'll have an IF radio, like an 817, um, as the radio that you talk into, or you run CW into, and then you'll have a transverter that takes it from, let's say 10 or two meters up to 10 gigs and then, and back down. So you'll have the, the up conversion and down conversion <laughs> in the transverter. And then that transverter uh, feeds the the dish. Pretty cool. Yeah, you probably need the the pre HD satellite dishes. Like they were round. Yeah, you kind of want the what looks like a 
traditional, you know, cartoon kind of. (laughs) All right. Well, we we're actually over our time here a little bit, but uh, I think we've, we've kept our, our audience pretty good. Um, George, I, I really appreciate you, uh, joining us today it was awesome hopefully maybe we can get you back and we can get on something i know you do a lot you said you do a lot with uh, repeaters and stuff like that and maybe a more more specialized uh visit if if i mean unless you just didn't like the, <laughs> the, the approach today. Like, i can't believe these guys kept me on there that long Jeez. <laughs> yeah this is like this is a short this is a short uh oh well, yeah for you guys compared to our podcast so th- this yeah. is like an, an appetizer. So no, I'd love to. That'd be a lot of fun. I appreciate yeah, the it was, invitation. It was a lot of fun. Really nice to hang with you guys. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. It was real. I mean, for, for getting George on the show. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, George. For he, being re- here. he reached out to me, so I said, "Well, I'll reach out to him." You know. Thanks, George, for having Chuck on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> Let me know if you want to talk to him again. Yeah, I'm booking him for yeah. the next couple months. <laughs> yeah. No, really, really appreciate it. And from the comments, everybody uh, really had a good time. So thanks. Yeah, they everybody seemed really engaged. Um, it's like you know, like you said before anytime you talk about antennas it's uh, everybody's totally into antennas and stuff like that hey jim from f f uh, ep labs thank you for the five dollar super chat there and he says uh, great uh, great car guys uh, george thanks you know so thank you and he's he's our guy that's into the scopes and stuff the, awesome he's he's pushing enabler, it. Like he's enabler enabler he's like he's pushing it so we're gonna say goodbye um I think since we went over, we're just going to click out of here, guys. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, uh, like you guys have asked us to bring in some some uh, bigger names, and George is one of the bigger <laughs> names in, in ham radio for us. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. 73 is all.